Hi, creepies. I am Reanimate Her. I know, it just sounds like a porno all of a sudden. Some zombies start stripping their clothes off and shit. Cat death. Details later. We got our ball cleavage back, ladies. They're coming to get you, Barbara. They're coming for you, Barbara. Do you want a game and get your jollies off as well? This is Coffee Chat of Horrors. Good morning, Daywalkers. I am Reanimate Her, and this is Coffee Chat of Horrors. The only horror show that takes its coffee like it's magic, and that is black. Today we'll be stalking, no, 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 Ra. I mean, today we'll be talking with Vincent DeSante, producer, director, and actor from Womp Stomp Films. You may know him from Never Hike Alone and the upcoming Never Hike in the Snow fan-made films. So slap on that SPF triple six, grab a bloody bucket of brains, and enjoy the show. Don't forget... If you want to watch this show live, you can come over to twitch.tv forward slash reanimate her and join us on Sunday mornings for Coffee Chat of Horrors at 1130 a.m. Eastern. Enjoy the show. Ah, there you are. Good morning. How are you doing? Pretty good. How are you? Just getting your video. Perfect. I know it's early. <laughs> I mean, I've been up. I just realized, I, I don't know. I was just like, I was doing emails. And then I was like, what time is it again? Just double checking. And then I saw 10 a.m. And I did something with like central time the other day. So I was like, oh, that's two hours. No. <laughs> <laughs> ah, why did I, I know. Down 9 a.m.? Time zones are, uh, they're a little crazy, those time zones. And then the, with the daylight savings time and all of that, it gets all sorts of messed up. Oh, yeah. And I have friends. Actually, one of the places I love to go to is Flagstaff. And in Arizona, they don't believe in daylight savings. So like half the year, they're on Pacific oh. time. The other half of the year, they're on mountain time. So that's pretty funny. Yeah, that is. Like, yeah, never that remember which one they're on. Definitely. Um, Vincent, uh, this is the Horde. Uh, Horde, this is uh, Vincent DeSante. I hope I'm saying your name correctly. Yeah, that's actually correct. And if you just want to say Vinny, that also works Vinny? too. That's that's what I mostly go by. Vincent is just because I moved to Los Angeles and every time I went to Starbucks, they'd write Benny on my cup. So yeah. I started saying Vincent so they would it would be a little bit easier to see there was a V on the front rather than a B. Ah, gotcha. Oh, yeah. nice. Well thank thank you for coming on to the show. I appreciate that. Yeah, no, it's a pleasure to be here. Happy to talk horror and hang out, drink some coffee. I went and got my coffee this morning, so I'm ready. Nice, nice. So are we. It, audio is perfect now. You guys can hear them uh, uh, even better. Perfect. Cool. Yeah, if I need to jack my mic, let me know if I need to change any settings on this thing. I'll, I can be louder, softer, um, whatever nope. you need. I actually uh, extracted your voice a little bit higher on my side just to perfect. pop you up because they, they had a little bit of a hard time hearing it first, but now it's pretty good. Yeah, I'm not going to need to be up there. I mumble a little bit, so. Oh, that's good. I mumble and butcher words, so it's all <laughs> it's all good. <laughs> um, yeah, me too, Resolute. So, Resolute, thank you very much for introducing me to Vincent. How, oh, yeah, you? right, Eric. He's got a birthday coming up. Yeah. You yeah. me about it. He's got a birthday coming up. That he definitely does. Um, I met uh, Resolute through a gaming community called Camp Crystal Lake Maniacs. Mm-hmm. 
And uh, yeah, yeah, he was like, hey, because he knows my coffee chat of horrors and he let me know about you. And I was like, uh, yeah, I think we would love to have a uh, slasher fan who created Never Hike Alone on the show. <laughs> yeah, that would, uh, yeah, we fun. I love talking horror and, and hanging out. So this is perfect. Great, great. Um, would you like to tell us a little bit about yourself? Yeah, sure. Um, you guys know Vincent DeSanti. I'm a director. I live in Los Angeles, California. I'm originally from Massachusetts uh, in New England. So I grew up there my entire life. I moved out to L.A. in around 2008. I spent about when I moved out here, I, I, I it was tough to find work. Uh, it was during the recession. So I ended up getting work in feature animation. So I did some work you know, early in my career as a production assistant and then a coordinator and a production manager and working my way up the production line on uh, independent animated films like Freebirds, uh, mm -hmm. Rock Dog. Uh, there's another one called Duck, Duck, Goose. I worked on a couple that were in development but didn't get made. Um, and I want to say sometime around 2015, 2016, I started to get that itch to realize that I moved to Los Angeles to work in live action, not animation, and that if I got stuck on the animation track in production, I was probably never going to get a chance to direct or do anything creative. It felt like a... It felt like a dead end road to a place where I'd be just looking at spreadsheets and mm. uh, looking at the logistics of films rather than figuring out the creative and development of films, even though I spent so much time in development. It's just something that kind of happens to people when they they bounce around the production department. So I saw that as a as a kind of an issue with what I wanted to do in my life. Um, and I started working on the Never Hike Alone project. Um, I'd kind of lost touch with my live action roots, so I wanted a project to work on that I felt that could reconnect me with this world. Um, I tried to make a version of Never Hike Alone in like 2015, and it was uh -huh. a complete disaster. Oh, I didn't know no. what I was doing. <laughs> it, uh, it, it was a complete disaster. I didn't know what I was doing. Um, and I went back to the drawing board. I ended up uh, doing a 48-hour film festival a couple – like a year later, I uh, did a film called The Red Room, which helped me get mm -hmm. kind of – reassess like what I had been doing, put a team together. And then from there, I built the team to make Never Hike Alone in 2016. We released a trailer uh, earlier that year. Um, and when we released a trailer, we discovered an abandoned camp. Um, the day we finished shooting the trailer, some people who lived in the town said, hey, there's an abandoned camp up the road. You guys should go check it out. Uh, we released the trailer, went and checked out the camp and realized that we had this big opportunity to do a fan film like there hadn't been before with a with a million dollar set that we had access to that was you know free reign. The locals said go up there and shoot. And so for about a year and a half, me and my friends uh, would go up on weekends. We would shoot um, as much as we could. We, re we crowdfunded and we came up with this whole uh, kind of – I don't know, repeated formula now that you see a lot of just crowdfund movie, release a film and continue on. And we've been doing that since now 2017. We just moved on to um, we just shot Never Hike in the Snow this winter. And we had been working in editorial uh, for the last few months trying to get that put together. Uh, and that's going along very nicely. Uh, and then Womp Stomp Films has expanded. You know, I've, I've been working in live action ever since. We have a film called Bethosis, which I'm wearing the shirt for. Uh, it's our first original short film that's been making the festival rounds. It's directed by a good friend of mine, Austin Boning. We just got into Genre Blast, New England Film Festival. We have been in Telluride Horror Show, uh, Horror Hound Film Festival, and Panic Fest. So some pretty uh, well-known uh, genre festivals have been accepting uh, our shorts. I did. An, I directed another film uh, called Imagine that's on our Womp Stomp YouTube channel. So mm -hmm. I mostly – we run our YouTube channel. We have a lot of content that we put up there. Uh, yeah, yeah. We did a music video for Never Hike Alone called Disappear last year that helped launch the Never Hike in the Snow campaign. So if you haven't checked that out yet, uh, there's a little bit more ghost chase and action in that. Um, yeah, we have those else? trailers. We have those trailers yeah. to show everybody today as well. 
<laughs> cool, cool. Um, yeah, I mean, and so like that's basically been the last few years of my life is is working on Womp Stomp films, getting that done, and then working towards becoming a live action director. I have been attached to a film called The Kindness of Strangers, which is mm -hmm. about two serial killers that discover each other on the open road and then battle it out until only one's left standing. And it's something I've been developing for the last couple of years with a writer named Ian Bush and my producers, uh, uh, Gavin Dorman and Joan Mao. So it's uh, it's been kind of like the more traditional way a, a film is made at, at the higher level. So I've been kind of going through those steps and using some of my previous experience working in the studio system to get it made. Um, and that's been progressing really, really nicely. Uh, obviously COVID has slowed down all production. So we've been using a lot of time to ramp up the, the pitch deck and some of the, the sales materials and just the overall pre-production of the project. Um, just preparing and preparing and see what, what's going to happen once we're allowed to go back out and shoot. So it just gives us a lot of time to, to work here and, and concentrate on Womp Stomp films, concentrate on that stuff. Uh, in the meantime, we've actually started developing an animated film uh, called Ghost Chicken based on a script that I that I released last year and started putting around the festival circuit that's been doing really well. So we've been finding ways around COVID and staying busy and producing Never Hike in the Snow and getting that made. We have some Blu-rays that are going to be coming out pretty soon uh, once we release the film later this year. So we got a lot to prepare for. So I've just been very busy and, and kind of working from home for the last uh, six months. Yeah, you sound very busy. Wow. <laughs> yeah, it never stops. I always like when I unravel everything that I'm doing, I'm like, oh, yeah, I am doing all this stuff. I mean, we also I mean, we're we're also, uh, you know, Wamps another thing about Wamps on Films people may not know is that we actually work with a lot of other groups as well. So Red Crow Films up in Portland, we work with them on the Jason Rising project. We're co-producers. I'm a co-writer on the project. I work with James Sweet. We, you know, we've helped kind of outline that story. They were paused with their filming, so they're waiting for stuff to they're waiting for stuff to lift up so they can finish their final scene. I'm also a co-producer. Wompstomp Films is co-producing another fan film called Dylan's New Nightmare, which is a sequel to Wes Craven's New Nightmare, directed by a, a Cecil Laird out of the horror show uh, based nice. out of Arizona in Phoenix. And so that's bringing back Miko Hughes. Uh, people, fans should be familiar with him. He's, yep. a, he's an industry staple. Uh, young Dylan Porter, who was in uh, Wes Craven's New Nightmare, also uh, Gage from Pet Cemetery and, right. and many other films that he was in the 80s um, and 90s. He's returning to reprise his role, Miko. Um, nice. And we have a uh, famous Canadian, I guess, Dave McRae, who's going to yeah. be playing Freddie uh, ah. in the film. So that's going to be really cool. And he's doing a crowdfund for It's Me, Billy uh, right now for uh, a oh. sequel to uh, Black Christmas, which is pretty really? cool. So that's up on Indiegogo. I think it has like 55 days left. It's got a $60,000 um, cap that it needs to goal it needs to make and it already passed thirty thousand dollars within the first like week or so that it's been there so oh, wow. get on that now and, and support yeah. that um so we work with a lot of a lot of people like that where we try to get their 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 campaigns kind of locked in solid sure. we, we 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 help people um not that like dave's doing it all on his own but a lot of people reach out and we help them with their crowdfunding campaigns and there's their overall production strategies about what's the smart ways to spend money who are people you can contact that can get you what you need um and really you know the fun part is is like all these people are all over the country all over the world but we're uniting each other through our love of horror and figuring out how we can help each other. Oh, you need something? Oh, I know a titles guy. Like, call this person. They're going to give you a good deal. And, like, finding where we can find each other where obviously people need to be paid for their services. Of course. When you go out and you have somebody make something for you. But they're going to work with you because it's a fan film. They're going to work with you because it's an independent film. And, and right. we're building a network of, of people who are all trying to take that next step in their career. And these films that we've been working on, whether it be a fan film or an independent original film – um, 
they're the stepping stones. It's how you get in there. It's how you get known. So it's, it's been a lot of fun to not only make my own projects, but also right. help my friends and some fans that have become friends uh, create their own projects. You know, in a couple of weeks, we're going to be going out to Flagstaff, Arizona and shooting a short for uh, Renee Rivas, who I yeah. worked with on The Spirit of Haddonfield. So yeah, I direct, I write. Um, but probably a lot of fans know that I also play ghost Jason. I've played Michael Myers in fan yep. films as well. Um, I'm going to be appearing some other films that are coming out that I can't really talk about yet. So right. I have this small, like little acting career that's acting like launching off to the side. So it's been, uh, it's been a crazy couple of years since never hike alone. My life has completely flipped around, uh, than what it was. Right. And that's great. And I love independent film. I, uh, especially horror films. I'm a very big supporter. This is why I run Coffee Chat of Horrors, and I, I contact a lot of independent filmmakers or actors, journalists, creatives to come on the show oh. to help bring awareness to their video. Not everybody watches YouTube. Not everybody's on Twitter. So mm -hmm. to bring in um, independent makers, actors, all of them, and have them on the show, it gives them an array of people to reach. And uh, we've had we've had several on the show. If you have any friends that are interested in getting the word out, let me know. Yeah. I don't mind contacting. Um, mm -hmm. This is, I think, where fans will be able to bring the genre back to the fans, if you know what I mean. Yeah, or, I mean, that's yeah, that's where we're really at with these. I mean, we're we're right there. I mean, we're the filmmakers that you meet when you go to the conventions. We're the filmmakers that you meet when you go yeah. to the film festivals. We're there with our films. And um sometimes like a lot of us are in the shorts right now like we're we're building our way up we're making mm -hmm. we're trying to get to that place where we can bring features to these to these uh to these things uh, and i apologize for my neighbor starting up the motorcycle <laughs> uh it's like that's when i know it's like a certain time of the day right um but uh but yeah i mean that that's kind of the cool part and like fans it, it's like we're fans who are it's like you know Five years ago, I would say, when I was still working in animation, um, I went to the Stanley Film Festival in Stanley, uh, and I can't remember the name of the town, but it's Estes Park, Colorado, where Stephen King famously penned The Shining. It, he right. based it on the Stanley Hotel, and then Kubrick took it out to Oregon or Wyoming or wherever he took it. Um, but it was based on the original Stanley. And while I was there, I just kind of felt like, oh, I'm a fan here and I'm enjoying people's films, but I really want to be on the other side of this curtain. I want to be mm -hmm. here with the film showing it to a bunch of rabid uh, horror fans who want to see content before it comes out to the theaters, before it lands on VOD. I want to be the first one to see it. And I want my projects to be the ones that people see and come to see at these things. Right. And that was a big switch for me. I went from somebody who whose skills were kind of diminished because I wasn't working in the field to now here I am. I've, you know, the last three years we've made it to the Telluride horror show, which is a big achievement yeah. that I think for us, um, we've had never hiked in the snow went and then imagine went last year. Pathosis went, um, who knows what's going on this year. Hopefully we can bring never hiking the snow back and, and bring it there as our, as, as to show it. Um, but there's a lot of factors involved. Obviously we oh, have yeah. to get accepted. Uh, I'm sure they would love to have us back, but, um, will they have a show? And how is it going to impact our release date and things like that? So there are things that we have to think about there. Uh, COVID's really messed up the schedule oh, um, yes. for all this stuff. So it's been really unfortunate because Pathosis just came out. It's been doing really, really well. Um, and now it's starting to get more acceptances. And it's tough to figure out, like, can we go to these film festivals? Is it safe to travel? Is it smart to travel? Um, and you know, so we, we can't really do what we usually do, which is show up and, you know, really support the film, meet other filmmakers, meet people from around the country, which is oh, really yeah. the best part. I mean, now we have a network that spans the entire country. I see a lot of the same filmmakers at different festivals and meet a lot of different fans. 
uh, run a lot of uh, panels, uh, like a friend of mine, Tony Wash and I, Tony, who works uh, with Bloody Disgusting, he runs his own company, Scotchworthy Productions, he's a director, he directed um, Skeletons in the Closet, The Rake, uh, a few other really cool shorts, I see him in a lot of things, and we run panels together called like the No BS uh, Independent Film Panel, where you sit down in a round table with other independent filmmakers who either have a short and they don't know what to do with it, or they're stuck in production somewhere, and we sit down and we hammer out details and we say, this is how you can get around it. Um, so it's cool. It's, it's like, it's fun to now look back and then see now, like, holy crap, I went from like, what am I doing to like, all right, let me show you what to do. <laughs> like, <laughs> don't, don't, don't step on this landmine. Um, and that's what it is. I mean, a lot of it has been just making mistakes. I mean, it's right. been like, what, what were we thinking? Like, I thought this was going to work. <laughs> um, or we get to one thing and then realize we could have done it cheaper. So it's a lot of like trial by fire. So a lot of people are learning when we do sit downs with people about the stuff that we've done wrong uh, and how they can avoid it and how we found ways around uh, hurdles and things like that. So that's been a really big, um, big part of this is like giving back and and really inspiring other people to go out and make their own films. For sure. And that's great. That's really awesome. You guys have a round table to help people out and get. Mm-hmm. that's how we help raise each other up, especially in the horror industry and being so niche that, you know, we're not Marvel, we're not DC, you don't have the big backing, right? So uh, it's but, really you know, nice. But the funny thing is, is that you say that, but we do. We have a huge backing. Yes. The, the horror community is it's one of the huge. most supportive mm-hmm. and and they're, I mean, they're there for us more than, than a lot of things. And I think in this independent world, um, it's really important that fans come out and support us. They come to conventions and they buy someone's Blu-ray directly from them rather than, right. you know, streaming it off of Amazon or, or where they get the pennies on the dollar. Where where these filmmakers really make their money is when you buy physical media from them, when you buy shirts and posters and you invest in them as filmmakers, especially in Indiegogo and crowdfunding or if they're on Kickstarter or GoFundMe or whatever it is, that's there. And, and you know, we talk about like Never Hike, Never Hike in the Snow just raised about $100,000. Um around 90 once we got all the, the fees taken right. out but that was only about 1500 2000 people oh yeah so, no, that, that, that's, so that that's great. a drop in the bucket for as far as like like i talk about like imagine if every friday the 13th fan was behind the never hike series and we got everybody to give us five oh, bucks yeah we'd have 50 million dollars and yep. we would be able to make 12 yeah. movies you know what i mean so <laughs> i mean 12 i mean we can probably make 50 um it's you know, there's lots of things that, that fans can do and they have a lot of power to do by showing up in numbers. You know, yes, we, we always agree. appreciate, you know, we appreciate the, the executive producers who come up, they show up with $5,000 or $2,000 and that's a very rare occurrence and it's very humbling when it happens. But really these films are based on, are, are, be, are built on the masses coming together, whether it be a fan film or an independent film. It's, it's groups of people in large numbers coming together, giving what they can, whether between five or 20. That all adds up when you start getting into the 3,000, 4,000, 5,000 oh, yeah. backer range. And then you're going to see these independent filmmakers. You know, if, they, if you ever have a complaint about a film, fan, uh, any type of film you've ever seen that's on the independent level going, oh, it's not, it's not Marvel. It doesn't have the money. It doesn't have this. Well, if people backed it, it would. we have the skills to make it look like that. And that's, I think, yep. going to be a cool thing about Never Hiking the Snow is people are going to see that they gave us the money and now it's going to look like the films they see – like right, and the have theater. the million dollar budgets and they have the five hundred million dollar budgets that are done by Paramount and other uh, film creators. Um, I definitely know the horror industry has the backing of its fans. And when I say mm-hmm. backing, I mean like Paramount Studios, New Line Cinema, stuff like that, where you guys are getting 
the money needed to do your uh, production. And it's it's great that the horror industry is like that. Uh, mm-hmm. Yep, I got your questions. I'm writing them down, guys. I got them here. <laughs> Pouring in. Oh, yeah, lots of questions, lots cool. of questions. It's Oh, these are... The Horde uh, is the community. It's my friends that we hang out with every day and we, we chit-chat about horror. So they love this stuff. <laughs> Great. Good. Glad. What I like it, taking questions. Uh, what, yeah, go ahead. I have a question for you with Tom, with Tom Matthews. How mm-hmm. hard was it to get him back into going up against Jason again? Was it easy? I mean, it was not not really that hard. Uh, our executive producer, Never Hike Alone, introduced me to him um, through a mutual friend. And we sat down and I showed him the film and I kind of at that point we had filmed half of it. I didn't really write a story around Tommy. And so it was like you can play this part and it would be a great surprise. So what I want you to be is like, you know, we've been building this film and I want it to be us. Like I want it to be like we want to entertain the fans and show them that we can entertain them with what we have and not like necessarily lean on you to like just have you show up for five minutes at the end of the movie. Right. And so he was like, oh, I'm totally down like that. I was like, I'm not going to tell anybody you're in it. Like, this is going to be a big surprise. This is like, think about like the brains of these people when you show up on screen on October 13th, like it's going to yep. be huge. And so he was, he loved that aspect of it about being like, kind of like jumping out of the birthday cake sort of thing. Um, and that was really fun for me. And so since then, Tom and I have really gotten to know each other pretty well. We, we check in, uh, periodically. He knew as soon as we started talking about it and I started talking about the future of Never Hike Alone, he, he really jumped on board and loved it. Um, the, the sequels, you know, Never Hike Alone 2 of what that would have been Mm -hmm. has now turned into the series. I mean, it's all from Tommy's perspective for the most part. Um, it switches kind of the, the POV. So in the, in Never Hike Alone, the, the, the POV is um, is obviously uh, Andrew's uh, character Kyle. Uh, mm-hmm. In the future films, it's uh, it's all from Tommy's perspective. And in Never Hike in the Snow, what we're doing is a prequel, so it's not necessarily oh, from nice. anyone's central perspective. It's right. more of a it's kind of a drop in the bucket of like this is life in Crystal Lake before Kyle McLeod. Before Kyle McLeod showed up, this is kind of how things usually go when Jason pops up. Um, and it's it's a cool story uh, and Tom has his role in it. And but we have a lot of people coming together. So they all kind of got their bits. It's not necessarily like I don't want to fake fans out and think that like Tom is like the central line character through right. this one. He's kind of like the prophet of doom in it, which is really cool. He's more of the crazy yeah. Ralph. And he shows <laughs> and when he shows up, it's very impactful. And so we again, Tom becomes this impactful symbol every time he shows up on screen. Fans know what it means. And it and it sends a lot of people in different directions. And it's really kind of cool. Um, we obviously uh, through Tom. The cool part is not only did Tom was Tom excited to come back. He brought Vinny Guastafaro back with him. Oh, wow. uh, he introduced me to to, share, to Deputy Rick Cologne, who we have yeah. uh, upgraded to sheriff. And he, basically him and Tommy have just been living the last 30 years together in, in Crystal Lake. Not <laughs> not happy to be around each other, um, arguing all the time. But their kind of rivalry has uh, implications for other things that are going right. on. And um and their actions kind of affect other people. So it's kind of a cool kind of this dynamic about this selfish relationship that these two have and the way it affects other characters in the community. 
Um, and then we're going to see that continue to play out as the Never Hike series continues to go. So as we're making each episode, uh, it will for it's like watching a series of TV. So when you watch Never Hike in the Snow, it's going to be like the, the pilot episode of a new series. So you're going to be presented a bunch of characters. We're going to start all their storylines. And then when it ends, you're going to have a bunch of questions that are answered by the following pieces because it's supposed to be one long movie, but we can't raise five million dollars right. one time so we need to raise sections at a time and bid them out accordingly and then make them over a schedule that that fits within what everybody else is doing since half of us can't even take a take a stipend from it right. um, a lot of us have to volunteer our time so we have to do it we have to work it around our other schedules um, and then we can hire some from private contractors to come in and build things and shoot things and equipment and huh. stuff like that but um, you know, it, it's tough because it's not like running an independent fan film where everybody can just take their, their base rate and their, their union rates and things like that. Of course. Um, so yeah, so there are rules we have to follow cause we're shooting in LA and we're shooting with more professional crews to make it look really, really cool. Right. Um, so yeah, it's, it's, I don't know, it, it's, it's going to be something different when it comes out, but with, but back to Tom, it, it's like, it's cool that around this story now we can build around Tom. Um, and we can build on the arc of Tommy Jarvis and where he's come from and where he's going and what he's dealing with and see a little bit more insight into him. Um, you know, I think people probably already sense this from Never Hike Alone, but these, these films aren't your typical Friday the 13th films. They're, right. they're character pieces. Um, mm -hmm. they're character dramas that just have Friday the 13th and horror elements injected into them. So you're going to get all the horror stuff. You're going to get all that crazy stuff. But then when we get to the other scenes, it's not going to be about teens partying and, kids right. trying to get laid it's about people <laughs> trying to live their lives and this thing still lives in the woods and haunts them so it's right. kind of uh it, it's more of like a, a serious series like a stranger things or a dark or right. something along those lines so we're trying to take it to that meta not meta but more of like and i, I hate to use the term but elevated horror right. it's, we're trying to take friday the 13th to a little bit more elevated storytelling place where you know we all love Friday the 13th for what it is and, exactly. and the goofiness and the fun. Um, but I always wanted to see something like, what if somebody took this seriously and they weren't just like saying, ah, whatever, we'll just do whatever. You know, they were actually like, no, let's like treat it like, let's treat it as seriously as the fans treat it and see what happens when it comes back. And I think that the results so far have been uh, pretty rewarding and, and showing that fans are into this. Yeah, I enjoy it. I've watched uh, Never Hike Alone. I've seen, I follow your channel, so I I, I actually watch all the little things that you put up there. Uh, I'm a really big Friday the 13th fan. My favorite franchise. It's I love that, love that franchise. And to see fan-made films on it, it's, it's nice to see. And your perspective coming from it was really nice to see. Um, mm. I'm excited for what you guys have in the future. Uh, Me too. Playing as Jason, are you planning on playing him in the second one? Or, uh, I mean, um, in, in uh, Snow? Well, we, it was me and Brian Forrest doing it this time. So Douglas Tate actually signed on. Uh, oh. He was one of the stunt Jasons from Freddy vs. Jason. Yeah. And he's messing with Sasquatch. Doug was one of the first alumni to reach out to us and congratulate us on the success of Never Hike Alone. Sent me an email out of the blue wow. um, and was really gracious. And we've stayed in contact since. We've met it up at a couple of conventions and just had a good talk. He agreed to play Jason this time out. But scheduling conflicts, we had a slider schedule around. It was really like a narrow window. Um and so 
Brian Forrest and I returned to play the role. So Brian was my stunt double in Never Hike Alone. Mm -hmm. um, he did a lot of the stunt work. He did the same thing in this one. He does a lot of the stunt work. I want to say he might even do a little bit more work in the costume than me. Um, but I get all the kills. So, right. And so did I get it the feel credit. good playing Voorhees? Like yeah, I mean, it, it's actually really stressful for me because I can't look at the camera. And so it slows yeah. everything down. I can't direct as we're shooting. Mm -hmm. um, I have to be very specific and it's tough to like concentrate on giving specific direction and then get back into character and then do what you have to do. Yeah. Um, luckily I've been in editorial for the last two weeks and, um, there were things in never hike alone that I was like, Oh, I think we could have done that better. And this time we really stepped up the game as far as our portrayal. It's really a shared portrayal. I take the credit just because it's less confusing to put two people under it. Right. Um, we do do that in the back. I mean, he gets the stunt double credit, um, obviously, but um, but Brian does a lot of that work, and I think he might not get enough credit. Sometimes people post pictures and they don't know that they're posting the picture of Brian. I mean, Brian does a lot of the work. Um, we've designed it together, and both of us can perform it the same way. And a lot of it is based on the performance, how I would want it, how I would portray it. the The biggest challenge of it is always, will the camera be where I needs it? where I need it to be when I'm mm -hmm. in costume. And a lot of times it's not through any fault of anyone. It's just that I'm the only one who can think like me. So right. I have, when I'm behind camera, everything goes really, really fast. When I'm not behind camera, things slow down. So I really have to pick and choose when I get into the costume. Um, and I, and there are some obvious places where I'm definitely in the costume <laughs> um, <laughs> in this new one. Uh, so you'll, you'll, you'll see me kind of pop up, but no, it, it's really fun. And this one was really challenging and, and I really feel for Brian because he was mostly in the costume during the snowing scenes, which was really cold. Oh, yeah. um, and when I was in the costume, when it kind of like the sun came out, I was still cold. And I was like, I don't know how you were in this thing. Like the boots were freezing, soaking uh -huh. wet. Um, so it's really tough. But like, you know, playing Jason's a lot of fun. It's like once you get into it and you get into the scenes and then you see how it comes out. Um, there's a few scenes of like that we did of like jo Jason coming through the forest. Um, and some of the things that we learned from Never Hike Alone about how to shoot Jason, how to pose Jason, how to walk as Jason, now seeing it kind of repeated in every single scene at the same level, um, it's really menacing. I mean, you know, Jason looks bigger in this movie. Um, he has a bigger presence. He has more weight to him. I mean, right. we both kind of bulked up for it. I think I was sitting around like 230. He was around 220 something. So we, we had our, our mass on the entire time. Unlike Never Hike Alone, I came off of a Muay Thai fight. So I was like <laughs> 190 pounds and then I had to grow into a 220. Right. So I grow throughout the film. And so like in some of the early scenes, like I'm kind of skinny. And then like in some of the other scenes, I'm really like jacked. Yeah. So it's really funny to see like the, the two <laughs> dynamics of it. Um, you know, the costumes a little bit new in this one too. Uh, somebody had purchased the old costumes. So we had to replace everything oh. and when we replaced everything. We ordered better sizing of stuff and had stuff better tailored. So right. it wasn't as tight and skinny. Um, you know, so there were things that like everything we learned from Never Hike Alone, we we tried to take it in Never Hike in the Snow. Not that we didn't make any mistakes on Never Hike in the Snow, uh, but we made less. That's right. for sure. That's how you and evolve. Yeah, it's how we evolved. I mean, if you think about it, like Never Hike Alone took 18 months to do everything mm -hmm. um, when we first started shooting. And we started shooting in like we really started shooting in September of 2016 for the film. And we released in October of 17. We started shooting this one. And then it took all that time of like pre-pro all summer and all that stuff. So all that going in was there. We had a lot of pre-pro on this, but we didn't really have to do much. Yeah. Um, but it took us six days to shoot this. 
it's taken us two weeks to really edit it because Mike did a Mike our editor did a full assembly um, mm -hmm. but unfortunately uh, during the course of doing the full assembly um, this was like probably sometime in March his his father contracted COVID uh, back in New York and so did a couple of his family members his his father ended up going to the hospital um, had a few issues right. Mike had to fly home his dad ended up passing away so Mike with his, was with his family for a, a while um, and we just shut everything down um, it was really just kind of like, a, we need to step away. You need your time. Um, you know, everything that we have plans for, it doesn't look like, it looks like it's all going down the drain anyway. So let's just pause and the, the things are more important than this. Like I'll just go do other things. And so, right. uh, when Mike came back, it only took him a couple more weeks to, to put it together. And then him and I started really going at it. I want to say at the beginning of July. So, um, editorial truly started just before, um, just before 4th of July. Uh, and it's, we're almost to a picture lock. I mean, we're, we're, we're pretty close. Um, and so we're, it's really about just kind of amplifying some scenes right now and just figuring out some stuff of how we want VFX to kind of play a, play a part. Um, but I mean the, the process, we're just moving so much faster. Like when you're in editorial and you're like, Oh, we didn't get this angle. Oh, but we're covered here. Okay. So it didn't really work the way I thought it was going to work, but no, we're covered in this. So we've, where we made mistakes in Never Hike Alone, where we kind of hamstrung ourselves into certain setups and shots and things like that. This one, even though we did have limitations on how much we could shoot, uh, we gave ourselves more outs and coverage and things of that that helped us. You know, when they when you make a film, there's there's the version you write, there's a version you shoot, and then there's the version you cut. And so we're working on the version you cut right now. <laughs> Luckily, the first two versions were well built enough to that cutting. Uh, we found some new things. Uh, we fixed some things that may may have like been a little clunky in the way that it was written or understood. Um, but I don't know. It's just it. The process is always fascinating. It's a lot of ups and downs. It's like you think you're a genius one minute, and then you think you're a complete moron the next. Um, but luckily <laughs> yeah. lately it's been more of like the, yeah, okay, we got it. Here's, here's the magic of like, I felt that in never hike alone. Like we got to a point in never hike alone in editorial. Where it was like, here it is like here it's, it's coming. Like there's now I'm starting to see the baby. Like there it is. Now it's like, it's forming. And so we're at that kind of stage in never hike, never hike in the snow right now where the, the, it's kind of coming into its own. Uh, we're about to add music to it next week. So Ryan Perez Dapple, the same composer from, uh, never hike alone is coming back to do the new score for this. Um, and then we have a lot of other post people that we have to bring in, uh, to get some bids and then we take it to, to them and let them work on it for the rest of the summer and early fall and then pick a, a release date, um, get a trailer out there. So we got a trailer picked out. We kind of figured it out what we wanted to do. Um, it's just a matter of figuring out what a release date's going to be probably not before October. I'll, I'll say right. that it's not going to be before October for sure. Um, and in October's like a stretch. Yeah. Uh, so we're, we're probably looking a little bit later than that. Um, and mm. we'll see what date we can land on. There's other films that are coming out. So we have to work with other films as for far sure. as what their release dates are, what their plans are and what those goals are, because we want to help everybody roll from one project to the next. So if fans have three films coming out soon, um, then let's kind of piggyback off of each other. So fans have, know that there's content out there while we're all waiting for the lawsuit to dry up. Um, we can, 
we can still watch, you know, these fan films and do what we do. We're Friday the 13th fans. We get online and we yeah. talk about it. Um, <laughs> And that'll be fun. I think there's going to be a lot to talk about. There's like four or five projects that are going to be coming out within the next six to six months to to a year. So I, there's going to be a lot. I mean, during the development of like, say they get all that other stuff settled and the mm -hmm. Friday the 13th film is going to get fast tracked. Like we're going to have a lot to watch up until that movie gets oh, released. Yeah. So it's going to be really cool. And it's all it's all fan funded. It's all fan made. And that's kind of the coolest part of it. Yeah, and that's really awesome. And, I, and like I said earlier, I think this is how fans bring the horror genre back to the fans because it's been getting mm -hmm. out of control. Um, so I'm very happy to see that. It's very nice to see the horror community get together, regardless if they're fans of Friday the 13th, but they want to see new, fresh horror coming at mm -hmm. them in a new, fresh way and not the same stuff being made rep repetitively over and over. Really Correct. exciting. I'm excited for you guys. <laughs> Thank you. Uh, Regal has a question for you. She wants to know if there was another classic villain that you would like to make for a movie, who would it be? And I know you did uh, Michael in mm -hmm. uh, the Haddonfield one. Is there anyone else? There's a couple of things that I'd like to do. That, uh, that I, One, I'd love to do a Predator film. Oh, yeah. Um, that would be a lot of fun. I've talked to James Sweet with the, and the guys up at Jason Rising. We've, we've actually been kicking that idea around of like, Maybe we should do this. Um, maybe we should think about it. Uh, so if we could make that happen, we definitely will. Predator is definitely high on my list. I'm a big fan of, of the Predator franchise. I love what they're – I love that Marvel just purchased them. I hope they do stuff that's like stories within the Predator world. So not necessarily the same old Predator right. story of like they show up somewhere, they fight a bunch of people, and they try to do the thing. But maybe a story about the Predator culture. And something that they deal with. So it's it like like a, a story like Top Knot or, you know, things like that right. where like there's a little bit more about their culture and, and a story within there that still has the cool predator stuff. Maybe there's predators yeah. fighting. Who knows? Maybe there's other types of aliens. It's not just humans. It might be cool to kind of do that. Yeah. Um, the other thing I want to do is not necessarily horror, but I want to go back and do a novel faithful remake of First Blood. Oh, nice. <laughs> and I would love to do... Each episode is a chapter in the book. And I don't know if, if everyone's if for those of you who have read the David Morrill novel, it's mm. much more balanced in the view between Teasel and, and Rambo. Rambo right. doesn't even have a first name in the in the book. Yeah. Um, and Rambo is actually turned into a villain. And that's kind of the and it's it, it's heartbreaking the way he cracks and, and kind of mm -hmm. like he's pushed to the edge. And it's about two people, you know, like who won't give up. And you realize that um, if they don't stop going at each other, the people around them are going to be right. the ones affected. You can kind of see where I got some inspiration for Never Hike in the Snow. Uh -huh. um, and what, what I like about this, what I like about the novel is that it changes, every chapter changes point of view. So in one chapter, you're in Rambo's point of view, and then the next chapter, you're in Teasel's point of view. And you see the point of view of each other, and you realize that Teasel's not all good, but he's not all bad. And, you know, Rambo's not all bad, but he's not all good. Right. And there's a point where they switch their villainy and and thing in the book. And it's something that Stallone didn't allow. He was like, Rambo has to be the hero. Yeah. He can't kill anybody. We got to keep him. You know, it was that 80s like patriotism. Yeah. Like you can't say anything bad about about this. And I think that we live in a society today that's like, don't whitewash this for me. Don't. Right. Don't water it down. Show me the raw story of what really happened. And I think that if if I could do it in a way where I could do each episode as a chapter in the book, once from Teasel's, 
One's from Rambo, one from Teasel, one from Rambo. Yeah. And I could pull a cool cast together and, and go find a place to shoot it. That's something I would like. That's that's an industry. Like, I wish I could do that at the pro level. Yeah. Um, I think that that'd be a great HBO Max series um, or a Netflix series, mini series, right. you know, just a special event type thing. Um, and it would be different. And, you know, I, I think we we all love Rambo for what he became, the John Rambo, the the, the yeah. Stallone Rambo, you know, showing up with all the guns and killing all the people. But <laughs> I think this would be something that kind of like what they did with the Watchmen, too. It's yeah. like you just take it a little bit. You put, a, you put a little bit of a social nerve on it and you tell a real raw story and with real characters that all like no one's a true hero and no one's a true villain type thing. And it, it kind of makes it a little bit more interesting. Yeah, uh, there's lots of Rambo fans. Uh, I'm I am a fan of them. My husband's a fan. We've got several in the in the community oh, yeah. as well. And I think that's a really cool concept to see it in chapters. So I really hope that you are able to create something like that. It's definitely one in the back of the it's it's one that I'll always keep there kind of you yeah. know if I can ever make it I'll I'll make it happen. I hope you do. I hope you do because it sounds like it would be amazing. That would be really awesome. And same thing with Predator. We have a lot of Predator fans. Uh, I play the Predator Hunting Grounds game. So much fun. Oh, yeah. I got to play it more. The only other – so the only other thing I would love to do because I'm a huge fan is if I could make a Man in Suit Godzilla short film. Oh, oh that would that be would that be would be awesome. another dream come true. If I could rent some <laughs> studio space, build a set, and do like a monster battle, um, that would be another bucket that list. That would be awesome. That would be really awesome. I, yeah, I've said like a career goal of mine is right. to direct a Godzilla film, but not for Legendary, but for Toho. Right. To be the first American to go overseas and direct a, a Godzilla film. That, that would, be, would be awesome. That would that be would, pretty yeah. epic. I mean, I don't know if they'll let me do it, but I'd love to even just work on one and just be there and, and contribute. Yeah. Oh, I'm I'm excited for you. You got plans and you got goals. This is really awesome Yeah, they're to all hear. high up there and, and crazy, but, you know, hey. why not? That's why we have goals, right? And then once you get those and get them, if you ever do are able to, make sure you send us over the crowd links because I would, I would amongst many others, support and back all of those ideas. Well, just follow us at Instagram at Womp yep. Stomp Films, Facebook, Twitter, yep. um, YouTube. Just stay there. I mean, we always make our announcements. We're pretty, I mean, we go quiet sometimes when we're busy. Right, of and course. We, you know, we like to kind of like take a break from social media. I'm not the best, you know, we don't have a social yeah. media team. It's mostly just me. Uh, yeah. Taking two minutes away from work to be like, all right, hold on, let me just post something real quick. Yeah, oh, yeah, <laughs> for sure. But, um, but we all know how that is. It's just, yes, the, it's can. a grind in itself. But we like to kind of like sit on stuff. And then when we have a lot to show, have it lined up and then okay now we're ready to like really present right. not just be like i'm just posting the post and like here's the same thing you've seen 15 times like <laughs> it's just not how i want that you know it's just i don't know it's a personal preference but right. it, you know i've seen other people posting the same thing every day and they have like 20 billion followers and you're like okay uh, yeah I'm, I, I don't I have feel that you. energy <laughs> I, I i feel yeah i do the same thing with with my show here uh, for you guys wanting to find out more information, there are all the social media links right there, Instagram, Twitter, YouTube, Facebook, uh, and their actual website. So if you want to get any merch, um, check it out over there. You want to stay in touch with them, make sure you're following and like their pages. Remember, when we give support to independent filmmakers, we help them get more successful. We help them get seen. So it's up to us as fans of the genre to help that out so if you guys want to go there check them out uh, make sure you follow like subscribe watch their films tell your friends about their films this is what yep. helps get them out there um, yeah and if, 
If you haven't seen the, um, speaking of that, if you haven't seen the Jason Rising preview that we did a couple, uh, we launched it maybe a couple months ago, um, definitely check that out. There's still crowdfunding right now, actually, oh, to, okay. for help with the back end. So they're still active. If you, you say you look it's up Jason, Jason Rising on Indiegogo. Jason yeah, Jason Rising. Rising. Let me get the link yeah, to that. That's a really cool one. It's going to have a, a zombie headless Pamela. Oh, so, what? Yeah. Seriously? Okay, I'm yeah. definitely having to that. So definitely check out that. the trailer for that. Uh, we did a, a we did a kind of a this prologue scene that we launched, so people can kind of get an idea of like why we call it Jason Rising. It's a really cool, uh, really cool little bit. It's probably like five ten minutes long. Um, right. I think I think fans are really going to dig it. It's a cool way. It's kind of like a it's a uh, it's a reboot sequel to Part Four. Right. Um, so it's in Ooh. part five after never happened. And this was kind of what happened the night after, uh, after Tommy put Jason down, it kind of picks up from there. It's right. pretty cool. Oh, that's awesome. Guys, there is the link. Thank you, Dillinger, for yeah. grabbing that Indiegogo link. If you want Jason rising right mm -hmm. there, get yourself to be a part of history. When you guys back these films, you are a part of horror history and very, very awesome thing to do. And you help create an awesome film. There's this really is a, a crazy time in, in the is. Friday the 13th world. Um, and I can tell you that there are the people who kind of keep track of Friday the 13th for like Crystal Lake memories and things yep. like that. They've noticed, you know, there, there's going to be a, a section that's going to call the lawsuit era. And it, within that lawsuit era, the fan films are going to get their their time. And the right. people who helped put them, your names are attached to them forever. I mean, uh, we have our yep. credit list. I think there's 200 people in two or 300 people in, in the first round of Never Hike Alone credits um, on our film. This nice. one, we're going to have over 2000. Yeah. <laughs> so that, that's it great. is. Yeah. I mean, in fact, let me, let me see, I can tell you how many we're up to right now because it's still growing. We still actually, if you email us at wompstompfilms at gmail.com, you can still pre-order uh, Never Hike in the Snow um, oh. and you can get your name on the credits list. Uh, we still have Never Hike Alone on Blu-ray, uh, so I have about 200 copies left. Um, oh, wow. So that, I have some t-shirts, I have these Pathosis t-shirts, but I have Never Hike in the Snow, uh, Never Hike Alone, the Ghost Jason t-shirts, beanies, pins, we got a lot of stuff. Of so. Yep, okay, yeah, all right, wanted... I'll be heading to your website here very shortly. Cool. Uh... Um, all you have to do is email us at Wompstomp. If you look at our, our, our Instagram, you can see some of the stuff okay. we have available. We posted about it, and right. then all you do is you email us at, at, at wompstompfilms at gmail.com, and then mm -hmm. we go through PayPal, and we just send you a custom invoice about what you want. If you want multiple things, we'll combine stuff and right reduce on. prices. We're really just trying to clear out our closet so for we sure, can bring in sure. the next wave of stuff, which is going to be all the Never Hike in the Snow Blu-rays, which those will release. Um, we're going to start working on them as soon as the film's done. Uh, right. In fact, I've already started working on the artwork and getting that stuff done. Once the film is ready and we can get it pressed to disc, the idea is is that that usually takes five to six weeks. If we can get done with it mid-October, I think that the turnaround time should, uh, or late September, early October, the turnaround time will be there for us to print the disc, get them sent to us, and then as soon as we hit our release date, the idea is on the morning of the release date, we're going to take the first batch of hundreds that we can pre-package, um, drop them off and put them in the mail and just kind of do that three days in a row for all 1300 copies that are pre-sold right now. Oh wow! Um, so the film will come out on YouTube. Everybody will watch it on YouTube. And then three days later, you'll get your copy to watch at home on Blu-ray, which will include bonus features, uh, behind the scenes, uh, blooper reels. Uh, we actually have a blooper reel for this one, which will be pretty funny. Oh, that's awesome. uh, yeah. We have a lot of F-bombs from Vinny Guastafaro when he fucks up his lines. <laughs> <laughs> nice. Um, 
Yeah, so it's pretty funny. A lot of stuff, a lot of funny things happening. Um, this is going to be a cool package. So anybody who has the Never Hike Alone Blu-ray already, right. um, you'll know that we we put a lot of effort into that, and it looks really cool. We're doing the same thing on this one. Um, the other reason why we don't want to release the uh, the first edition Never Hike Never Hike in the Snow Blu-ray is that the cover is going to have a huge spoiler alert on it. Um, it's one of the raddest pieces of concept art that we had done for the film by Bill Hunt, who, uh, if you don't know who Bill Hunt is, you just look him up. Mm -hmm. Um, he's a, one of the, he's an amazing artist. He's based out of New Zealand right now, but he's an American, uh, VFX artist who worked since the nineties was on Jason goes to hell and Lord of the Rings and and anything you can think of. He Mm -hmm. worked for one of the top tier companies for a long time. He came on and volunteered for this project to do a lot of our artwork. Um, That artwork I haven't been able to show because it's all super spoilery. But yeah. after the film releases, we'll show all of his stuff. It's just it's beautiful stuff, um, and we'll have that on the disc too. We'll have those as downloads. Um, there's a lot, you know. There's a lot of things to uh, to really kind of get out of this, no matter what your budget range is. So right. uh, you contact us and and you want to support, then then we can do that. And right okay. now, yeah, we have okay. It's up to sixteen eighty nine. That's our oh, credit wow. list right now. Wow. So. 1,689 people helped raise, you know, a hundred thousand yeah. dollars on, on, on Indiegogo. That's, Amazing. that's a great ratio. Imagine if that was 3000 people. Yeah. Yeah. We could have been already working on never hike again. So it's, exactly. it's it, that's kind of the way that it, it can, it can help us out by everybody kind of getting together. And I think like you were saying before, like helping people bring them to the side of independent film where they're going to get the things they don't get out of the studio department, like world. Uh, yeah. We just don't get the same budgets. But, you know, when people hear fan film, they go, ah, fan film, I don't want to watch that. You know, yeah. they, they have a different concept of it and they have a different concept of independent film and that the level of quality that's coming out in the last, you know, even five years. I mean, it's just shot up. There's so many great filmmakers out there with really great projects. Um, you definitely got to go out there. You got to get on the scene. And like if you want to meet the people who are just like, like I remember being a kid in New England and I had no place to go with my horror love. I didn't have conventions. Right. I didn't have film festivals. Mm-hmm. I didn't have any of that. I was really oh. kind of out on my own. And it wasn't until I moved to L.A. and I started going to film festivals and conventions that I realized that my peoples were out there. And so you got to seek out festivals. You got to seek out conventions. You're going to meet like minded people, people who love horror. You're going to see films you've never seen before concepts you've never seen before they're going to go to places that no one else will dare to go right um and you're going to be the first to see it i mean that's the best part you get to see it before anyone else and you get to be that person that walks into a circle saying oh like when i was at telluride horror show we saw scare package back in october and now it's just coming out on shutter now everyone's getting on the scare package train but we can, as our friends who did pathosis and brought it there we're like yeah we saw scare package back in october glad you guys (laughs) like it um and it is. It's a brilliant film. There are a lot of good – you know, there's another one I'm waiting to come out, Mutant Blast by Ooh. Trauma. Oh, when yes, that Trauma. hits the shelves, people, you got to watch this film. It is the best trauma movie I've ever seen. Really? Like hands down. Oh, yeah, it, like, it goes. It. It, it's ridiculous just like every other trauma film, but it goes to another <laughs> right. place that's like so – our generation's humor that people are going to lose their mind. So it's a really good one. Uh, I keep looking to see when it's getting distributed. I don't know what's going on with it. I think it's still doing festivals or stuff like that. So if you can see it at a festival, by all means, go see that now. Um, And as soon as it comes out, definitely check it out. Yeah, That'd I will. That'd be a big recommendation for me. I love going to horror cons. In my country, horror, like the horror, it's, it's huge here. Uh, but to have horror cons, it's not as big. So here uh, we have our horror con in Calgary. I see a lot of films come out. Uh, Framed was one of them 
uh, really good. I like films outside of North America, international films. Mm-hmm. So yeah, I always recommend to everybody go to these cons, support the horror cons and stuff like that, because you're going to see a lot of cool things that you're not going to see on TV mm-hmm. and meet amazing people in the industry that are like-minded. Yeah. And if you're a filmmaker, I mean, it's, it's the best place to go get motivated because when you meet yeah. us, like, I think a lot of times people, um, I don't know, they get this like view of you. And then when they meet you, they can realize that like, I'm just a regular idiot, mm-hmm. just like you. Yeah. Like I just have a lot of motivation and free time. So, <laughs> right on. Um, and a crazy little brain that like gives me really stupid ideas, but that's, <laughs> that's where it all stems from. We're all horror people. We all have weird imaginations, weird yeah. senses of humor. Um, it doesn't work for everybody, but it works for us. And if it only you know, like, and if you can find out what your voice is and you can find out who else shares your voice and your opinions and your things, you can appeal to those fans and say, Hey, I'm one of you. This is, if you've ever wanted to see a film that had X, Y, and Z, I'm your, I'm your person. And then it's your job as a filmmaker to go out and say, all right, can I deliver X, Y, and Z? Um, and I realized that like, Past Vinny really screwed future Vinny over when he was like <laughs> saying all the things he wanted to do with Never Hike in the Snow because it, it was really tough. I mean, like it was a really um, the, the the bar that we set for Never Hike Alone and then the bar I set for myself to be like, well, if that's what I did when I was like that thing, now I should be able to do it like this. And so it's um, we're always constantly pushing ourselves. So as a filmmaker, you have to start one level. But like the things I'm thinking about now and the way I want to that I want to achieve things like it's that that the old adage of like you don't know what you don't know um, yeah. and the ignorance of it when you first get into it thinking like oh well it's just uh, it's just xyz i mean xy i put the camera in xyz <laughs> here we go and not realizing that all of the intricacies that can lead to making xyz into like something that's that's profound or if it's just something that's by the numbers and so um, it's, it's a really, it's a struggle. And so you start to, as the more you make it, the more mm. you realize that as you watch it back, you go, Oh, I should have done this. And so the <laughs> next time you go out, you go, okay, here we go. I mean, there's a couple of shots and never hike in, never hike in the snow that are direct products of me being like, all right, now I know how to fly the camera around. Yeah. Like we're going to do some fun stuff with the camera. Like we did a lot of drone work, like for all the drone work that we use and never hike alone, that is a small drop in the pond of everything that we shot. And there was a lot of stuff that we just couldn't use. Mm-hmm. 99% of the drone shots that we did for, uh, for never hike in the snow, we use everything we shot on this movie. We typically use there. We only dropped maybe one or two shots per scene rather than other, other times we either had to completely reshoot scenes or we dropped five shots that right. I didn't need. So it, it's, it was a lot about being economical, um, being smarter on set, moving much faster, not overtaxing the crew, not overtaxing the time that you have or, or overestimating how long it takes to shoot, knowing that like, okay, I can't have a shot list with 30 shots. Right. I got to have a shot list with 10 shots and I need to make sure that those 10 shots tell this story. So, um, you start to get there and you start to realize just like anything, the more time you spend with it, you can get more complex with it. And, and it's just sure. a matter of, of putting the time in. Oh yeah, Definitely. Uh, we have another question, general issues. I really enjoyed the music in NHA. Where did the inspiration come from that? 
so the inspiration, first of all, Ryan Perez Dapple is the composer. He's a brilliant, uh, he's a brilliant musician, good friend of mine. Um, <clears throat> the, the inspiration for it came like this. Um, Harry Manfredini's score is very much based on, if you listen to the root structure of it, psycho. I mean, yeah. there's a lot of the same yeah. themes, there's a lot of the same instruments, um, very close. So what I did was is said, okay, imagine if Manfredini didn't see psycho, what else is in Bernard Herman's catalog that would be a cool set for never hike alone because friday the 13th is a straight horror film it's actually right. a branch off of giallo films yep. which uh it actually screws up one of the biggest things because it never shows the killer before the end of the movie <laughs> uh so they kind of messed up the formula but whatever we love it anyway exactly uh, so it was really based on that. Never Hike Alone was more of an adventure film. It's an adventure film meets a horror film. It's 127 Hours the Martian. So we needed something that was a little bit more out there. The opening of the film has a lot of shining type quality. So I wanted something that was more orchestral and sweeping score and something big. So the, the score that I ended up landing on for the basis of Never Hike Alone was Vertigo. Mm-hmm. And the score for Vertigo, if you listen to it, it goes high highs, low lows, right. high highs, low lows, and it goes up and down. And so we use that to dictate the rhythm of the opening scene. And then Ryan came in, looked at that rhythm, wrote something completely original. And then all of the themes that are within Never Hike Alone are in that opening score. So everything you hear later on in the movie, there's a version of it or a verse of it or a stanza of it within the opening film or at least the roots of it. So everything kind of comes out of that. So we're doing the same thing. We have this really – I'm not going to say what – I won't say what the inspiration <laughs> is right now. Right. But I did have a song in mind. We had that in the first cut. It didn't work out the way I wanted it to. Immediately, I found another song that I think that was in a similar thing. We found it. And so we have that song now. We have our root kind of core song to build the film around now. Um, and so we're bringing Ryan in on Monday, and he's going to base it on that. So that's that's kind of how we do it. We work with the temp score that's really kind of sets the mood. Um, and then Ryan works from the temp score and keeps it all in the same family. Because when you're pulling in five or six different scores from different movies right. – um, you end up, uh, it gets a little, each scene can be a little bit different. It'll feel a little bit off. And that's what's happening with this, the, the, this, the cut right now is we have stuff that's a placeholder because we don't have something that's perfectly right for it. But it says something that like, we need something that's like this. And so Ryan will take that and go, okay, now based on the score that I've written and the, the big opening sequence, these are the notes, this is how we'll do it, This is these are the things that, that we use for this type of, of scare or this type of emotional beat, um, and some other kind of ethereal things that we want to work in on top of everything that we're working right now, but, you know, we've worked at, um, you know, as far as, like, the score we're looking at, Never Hiking, so Vertigo was a big thing for that, um, I've yeah. looked at the scores for, like, Shin Godzilla, um, look some John Carpenter stuff, uh, Us, um, Seven. Uh, I was just looking last night at some stuff from Midsommar. Uh, So there's cool elements because this is a really like this one's more of like a police drama, um, emotional, really heart wrenching type movie. So we needed to get something that was really like unsettling. So this score is going to be a little bit more unsettling and emotional than Never Hike Alone, which was bigger and scopier and adventure based and kind of had that type of energy to it. This one's going to be like, 
there's going to be a different feeling watching Never Hike in the Snow. You're going to be kind of sitting back, like cowering uh-huh. in your seat, being like, oh, what's going to happen next? Like, how is this? Like, like you're going to be feeling emotions for characters you've never felt before. Um, I mean, how often have you felt bad for anybody who's ever died in, in a Friday the 13th film? Yeah, exactly. Not much. <laughs> so that's kind of the goal with this one is we actually want to kind of make you feel a little guilty. Right. <laughs> for being a fan of Jason murdering people, and realizing that, like, these people come from, like, real families. Yeah. Um, or the thought or even just the thought of somebody being missing or like that they could be dead of like, you know, imagine if we told the the story. I mean, there's a little bit of like, imagine if we told this story from Kyle McLeod's parents perspective, like they're uh-huh. just hearing kind of like the thing and he's still out there. You know what I mean? If like in the middle of it, he's like his parents are like, oh, God, please come home and not knowing what they can do to help him. So yeah. um, there's a cool like I think anyone who's a parent is really going to be touched by this movie because um, there's a mother son relationship, which yeah. is very thematic with uh, with yeah. with Friday That's the 13th and in, in multiple ways. It's really mm-hmm. cool. Um, and then obviously we have the police drama between uh, Rick and uh, Tommy. There's also a deputy who's played by Brian Forrest. So my stunt double also plays the sheriff's deputy in the film, does an amazing job because he's an amazing actor. As right. well, and not only is he awesome. a stunt guy, but he's he's a he's a very accomplished actor in his own right. Um, Anna Campbell plays uh, uh, Diana Hill, who plays the mother of the missing character, and then the missing character is played by uh, Cortland Gordon, and that character's name is Mark Hill. Mm-hmm. Um, and the whole story centers around uh, his disappearance. So we and, and you'll see by the trailer pretty early that he's in trouble. I mean, like he's done something. Jason's on his ass. And we have to figure out whether or not he is going to have the smarts like Kyle McLeod to get out of his situation and stay alive long enough so he can be saved. Yeah. Um, will anyone believe him if he's found? Will he be found in time? What will be left of him if he's found <laughs> before? He's, you know, so there's lots right. of things we want to present the present the audience with. And we're going to hit them pretty hard with like, holy crap, like, do we want this kid to live or die? Um, do we want this person to to suffer the loss of a child, things like that. Mm-hmm. So it's 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 kind of a cool. It's got a lot of tension to it, and we think people are gonna are gonna be at the edge of their seat for it. Yeah. Oh, that's great. We have mm-hmm. another question from Miss Machiavelli. She's a huge Michael Myers fan, and she wants to know: Do you still have the Michael suit and mask? Asking for a friend, and she says, "I'm that friend." <laughs> well, one second. Oh, that's awesome. That is on. That's awesome. Yeah. So this is done by Justin Mabry. Oh, don't worry about the nose coming out of his eye. (laughs) Um, Yeah. This is a mask done by Justin Mabry, who is one of the, he's the founder of uh, trick or treat studios, uh, the professional mask maker. This is something I think he does out of, uh, his company called Nighthawk or something like that. This oh. is kind of like that style, but this yeah. is one we used for. Uh, this is my favorite mask. So that's um, that's amazing the, mask. The face of Michael Myers is the one we did with that with a, a filmmaker by the name of Stephen Wolf. Uh-huh. Um, so that's on YouTube. We we tried to crowdfund in that. We didn't. It wasn't successful. But I think it's one of the best looking cosplays I've ever seen in a yeah. in a fan film. So check out the trailer for it. It's pretty cool. It's very different. Um, and I still have the. 
the costume hanging up in my closet. Uh, it has all of the bullet holes. I shot oh, wow. him six times, so I got right. six bullet holes in the in the shirt, which is pretty cool. <laughs> so it's it's a post it's a post seventy eight um, yeah. Myers, or it's a post seventy eight right. original film Myers. It, it's after he's fallen out of the window. Yeah. Uh, my favorite Halloween is actually Halloween two. Big Friday mm-hmm. Thirteenth fan, so I enjoy the the elevated body count. Love the hospital setting. I, yes. I think there are some of the I, one of one of the most terrifying scenes is the scene of of Jay, uh, of uh, Jamie Lee Curtis trying to crawl through the window. Yeah, when he's down in the basement, and that just always scared the crap out of me. Her being like drugged up and not being able to move around, as silly as it kind of was, um, in some of the scenes. Uh, I don't know. That one really gets to me. I like the look of Michael in it too. I like the way. Uh, yes. Uh, what's I can't remember who plays it. Dick. Dick Warlock, yeah, the way Warlock plays him in that, I think he he has a pretty menacing performance. I like some of the things that happen. So yeah, yeah. oh yeah, that's no, cool stuff. A good one. Uh, Halloween two is good. I say I like Halloween one and two, and I like three, even though it has nothing to really do with Michael in that event. But it's such a great film. Yeah, as long as you just call it Season of the Witch. I'm exactly. You call exactly. it a Halloween movie. I'm just gonna ignore you. <laughs> like yeah. this isn't a Halloween movie. <laughs> no, not at all. No. Uh, Dylan Jabanks wants to know uh, if you have. Oh wait, ne- never mind. That was a question. Question, but uh, haunting wants to know first horror movie ever seen. Uh, I believe it was uh, Night of the Living Dead. Oh. I was probably seven or eight years old and earlier, and I was petrified because we lived in a house with a lot of windows, and all I could think about <laughs> was we don't have enough wood. Right, that's one of my. We don't have films. enough wood in the garage to cover up all the windows when the zombies come. And then I saw Return of the Living Dead, and that completely screwed me because I was like, yeah. "You can't shoot them in the head. You can't kill them. Uh, they're gonna come through the doors no matter what. They're smart. They can talk." Yeah. That really screwed me up. Uh, American Werewolf in London was another uh, one that I saw early on. Uh, Pet Cemetery I saw early on. That really screwed me up. I didn't know kids could die until I saw that movie. Yeah. Um, and it completely like just wiped my mind clean. And so I don't think my parents really knew. I, it's funny. Like I do, when I do interviews, sometimes I tell those stories and they're like, we didn't know you were watching those. And I was like, yeah, what do you think I was doing with the VHS tapes? I mean, I was yeah. literally grabbing horror movies off that they weren't looking at them. could have grabbed porn for all they knew. They wouldn't have even known. Um, right. And they were just like, this is what you want to watch Friday the 13th. Sure. You know? Well, parents were a little more easygoing back then as well. Not realizing yeah. that it's a uh, Friday the 13th. What's actually in Friday the 13th. All they know is they you know, want just their... driving around in the front seat without a yeah. seatbelt and smoking. Exactly. We had no seatbelts. I grew remember... up in different times. Yeah. <laughs> Definitely different times from today. <laughs> yeah. Um, Dylan Jabanks wants to know, uh, fan films often seem to fill stories in much better than bigger Hollywood movies. Why do you think it's so hard for big studios to stay true to the source material? Um, because their 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 loyalty isn't towards the fan. Their loyalty is towards the box office. Yeah. Um, they're not looking to build so much, and especially with horror films, more so today. I would say today they're better at it, like the Conjuring series, uh, the Sinister series. Yeah. Um, some of the things you're seeing, there's more connectivity in the past. You would bring on and, and but what you're seeing is you're seeing the same filmmakers and the same production teams carry those things through with Friday the 13th specifically. There's just so many different voices and brains coming through it. That's why you're getting so many different things. Right. And 
the reason why fans do it is because we gravitate towards certain storylines that we want to see played out. And that's not necessarily important to the studio because the studio is like, how can we get more butts in the seats? Like, yeah. what's something we can do? Like, oh, we can make Jason fight somebody with telekinesis. Oh, we can send Jason <laughs> to uh, we can send Jason to New York. Oh, we can say this is the last the last Friday the 13th and, and try to kill him. Oh, we can send him to space. It's always some gimmick. Yeah. And. That's they want to bring in as many non Friday the Thirteenth fans as possible, and that's the problem. Yes, their that problem is. is is they want mass market. They want to water it down so anyone can see it. They can just walk into the theater and never watch a Friday the Thirteenth in their life and understand what's going on. Um, and what fans films do is that they they require you to have some sort of base knowledge in the world. Like we did a pretty good job in Never Hike Alone of making it a pretty universal. I mean, that was the trick of Never Hike Alone is that it actually ended up becoming a pretty universal story that a lot of people who don't even like Friday the 13th like it or don't even know anything about Friday the 13th understand what's going on because they understand the core concepts of Friday the 13th. Jason dies as a boy. His mother killed everybody in the first movie. And Jason came back from the dead and started killing people ever since. If you understand that. That's as much as Friday the 13th you really need to understand to tell a new story. Yeah. But we're always interested on those those threads that aren't answered. Like what happened to Chris Higgins? Yeah, that yeah. night she went missing. What was Jason doing for five years before he attacked Alice Hardy? Exactly. Um, <laughs> what what happened to Jason after part eight? Yeah. Uh, and, and so what happened to Jason after part eight was kind of where Never Hike Alone picked up for me because I was not satisfied with Jason Goes to Hell as an ending. I've since made yeah. friends with, with Adam Marcus. He's, he's really cool. We actually get along really, really well. Nice. Um, I've, I actually got to be in the, um, the, the dark hearted Jason Voorhees, mm -hmm. uh, Jason Goes to Hell uh, documentary, and I talk right. about my hatred for <laughs> for Jason Goes to Hell, and, and it, it's not on a personal thing. It was like, this is just how it happened for me. I was young. I loved Jason, and the first thing you do is you blew him up. Are you yeah. kidding me? Uh -huh. Like, I would, lost me. Like, at that moment, I was just checked out of the movie, and it took 30 years for me to go back and watch it again and say, I can appreciate this for what it is. It didn't. It obviously didn't stop the franchise from making more films. Right. It's different. And the acting and the production quality is probably better than any other Friday the 13th – I mean any other Friday the 13th film out there. It's it's one of the best made films. It just yeah. happens that it has a storyline in it that completely kills it for it most fans. It's yeah. the fact that Jason's not there and that we got to watch other actors act as Jason in yep. human in skin, which tiny is weird. Little creature that comes flying out of people's mouths and yeah. 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 That was yeah. I mean, yeah. I don't know. It just, it wasn't for me. And, and, and obviously like Adam will tell his side of the story and I, I think it's fine. I've since heard it and I said, okay, like, I, I think that like, this is a story people are really going to enjoy. And I think that that's kind of a cool thing. Um, but for me, Never Hike Alone is like, what happened if Paramount never lost control and somebody yeah. got into Paramount? Imagine if I was like me now, but I got into Paramount and Frank Mancuso was like, here, you take the keys, kid. Yeah. What do you want to do? This is what I would have done um, and where I would have taken it and how I would have continued the story. And I think that Never Hike Alone is really it, it ignores everything that happened after part eight. It's like it yeah. kind of reflects my fanhood. It's like everything after part eight to me is just kind of like one off films that are just there. Uh, but they're not a part of Jason's story. Right. And I felt this gap of being reconnected to the original franchise all these years. And Never Hike Alone was my attempt to reconnect the story wires to the original, yeah. to the originals. So even though Jason has a new look, we're in a new setting, all those different things, the story elements are still there. And 
I mean, he would have to rebuild his costume after the events of part eight. So we rebuilt his costume and we're going to try and explore some of those, how he did that in different offshoot stories and things like that. Um, but we wanted it to feel like Jason disappeared after part eight and then yeah. he really learned how to stay hidden. And that's what Never Hike in the Snow is partially about is that like Jason's out there, but people can't find him. And yeah. when they do, there's a problem. Um, they have a huge problem. They, they have think. a problem. <laughs> they have a problem. Now. And that's kind of Jason's MO is that he's not out there actively looking for anybody. And since the town is no longer actively looking to settle over there or reopen camps or do anything with, right. with Camp Crystal Lake, he's been left alone. And the only people that wander in there are people who are breaking the law. And when they go missing, there is no one out there to really go look for them because it's the forest. People go missing all the time. Yeah. So what can you really prove and what is there really to say? So um, he's been existing in this world with a sheriff who doesn't really believe he exists or yeah. knows he exists at all. He's never been able to confirm it with his own two eyes. So mm -hmm. he's got suspicions, but he also has this crazy guy in town who's hell bent on on proving it, but then Tommy, who's hell bent on proving it, can't prove it. So it's the ultimate, like, oh, I know he's out there, but I just right. can't find the evidence and I can't find him. And and I think that that's kind of a cool dynamic that they have. And then and it's like this circle of of events that these three characters completely influence each other and they're influenced by each other. And you kind of see what Jason's motivations are. You understand what Tommy's motivations are. And now we'll see what Rick's motivations are and you'll see that they're questionable. And I think yeah. it's, um, it's a cool way to look at it. And, and it's, it's going to do things for, we're trying to do those things that like fans have always wanted to see on screen and right. we're paying respect to the original films. We're, we're keeping those things in mind when it comes to the original actors or paying homage to certain, moments yep. understanding that like yes a bloody bunk bed means a lot to a lot of friday the 13th fans mm -hmm. if you put a bloody bunk bed in a movie rather than a, say a headboard that says jason on it yep. you're gonna get a little bit more support you know what i mean like yeah. people are gonna be like oh you're talking to me because i actually pay attention rather right? than somebody who's like oh what am i looking at oh it has to yeah. say jason on it for me to get it and realizing that like don't make it stupid for the fans make it smart understand yeah. that the fans are actually really smart and connected and they study yeah. these films and we make it for them and that's really that's really why we do it we want to make something that they can look at and enjoy as a story but then look a little bit beyond and see like oh there's so much depth of history here that's based into the world that i remember from when i grew up watching these films in the 80s and mm -hmm. they have that vibe and they have that tone and they're taking it more seriously than ever and we want to eventually lead this story down the path that brings us to a a satisfying conclusion between the story of tommy and jason and yeah. you know when they go their separate ways that um that we feel like okay if the if they never made another friday the 13th film after this which is impossible right. but if you wanted to find a bookend to the paramount series i will put the ending of never hike uh, the Never Hike Again series up against anything that they could come up with. Yeah. And I agree when, when, uh, when I watch horror movies, especially some of my favorite ones and people remake them or make fan ones or do a re-envisioning, I'm always looking for those little pieces of homage to the original films, right? Cause mm -hmm. for me as a fan, um, I basically remember everything that goes on in the Friday the 13th franchise films, especially the first three, cause they're my, they're my favorite. Uh, and when people start putting in little, you know, nods at the original films, I'm like, oh, that's from makes it more exciting because you're not just feeding to uh, new people of the franchise. You're actually 
connecting with the people, the fans of the franchise. Mm -hmm. uh, Dillinger has another question for you. Uh, what was your approach to portraying Jason to make the character yours? For example, Hotter brought in the heavy breathing to make him look more intimidating. Um, I mean, the, 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 the breathing effects are kind of more of an ethereal thing. I don't, I don't think our Jason really breathes. We don't do a lot of body movement with right. him. We, we try to keep him on like undead as much as possible. I think for me, it was just figuring out what the structure of my body is as far as like what makes it look when I walk, what looks intimidating and what looks right. not intimidating. Um, how to wear the costume. So there's a lot of that. A lot of it goes into like the technical aspects of like there are ways to stand that don't necessarily feel natural or comfortable, but on screen look natural and intimidating. Mm -hmm. So it was about finding that. Um, and it was about studying those movements and staying on those movements and, and understanding where each each body part has to be when you're walking. Um, the speed at which you have to turn, the way you move your neck first and then the shoulders or the shoulders go first and then the head goes. So there's certain things that you can play with uh, there. Uh, when you're in the mask, you know, a lot of the times like what I like to do when I go to conventions is like that's when I actually really get to spend the most time in character because on set I'm in character for 10 seconds. Right. And then I'm out and I'm talking and I'm doing some stuff. Um, when I'm at a convention, I lock into the character and I get to walk around for like an hour. And it's really cool because I stay in that mode and then I kind of just get into this this stance of like if Jason just got dropped in the middle of this place and he didn't really have anything against anybody who was there. He was just, say, a 12-year-old boy walking around a, a, a convention. That's the way I go about it. I play a lot of the times with Jason's curiosity when he's not in rage mode. He's a, he's a curious 12-year-old boy. And I right. think I can get into that headspace pretty easily because uh, I am a 37-year-old, 12-year-old <laughs> boy. Uh, so I kind of go there and then, you know, uh, and kind of take it from that. And that, and that's kind of like the headspace. Um, but at conventions, I really like to like, like you see kids get scared and things like that, but I kind of like to be nice to them and not scare them and kind of make them kind of like, <laughs> no, hopefully make them a Jason fan by being nice to them. We're like, Oh, I won't hurt you. But yeah. I'll hurt everybody else. <laughs> uh, so there's that, um, you know, it, it really, it, it does come down to that for Jason. It's like, and I think you'll see a lot more acting in Jason for this one. Um, there's a lot more acting moments for Jason, even though it's not like he's out there reciting Shakespeare or saying a word. But you see a lot in his body language. Um, huh? You see a lot in the, pre the in the situations he's presented and the choices that he makes. He makes very specific choices. Um, and you start to see that there's there's a method to his madness, that he's not just mindless and he's not just doing things to do things, that like he has something he has to protect and he'll do anything to do it. And I think that when I get into that headspace, I realize that like this 12-year-old boy is kind of thrust into this position which he never asked to be. I mean, he never mm -hmm. asked to come back and kill people. No. Um, but he's doing it, and he's doing it because his mother has asked him to, the spirit of his mother, which is the vengeance spirit and the, yeah. the curse and what's pushing him to do these things. And it's been a long time, so he's had time to think about it now. And so maybe he's not as active. Maybe he's not as hell-bent on it. I mean, even in Never Hike Alone, he's he's reserved. He doesn't come out and attack right away. He watches. Right. He observes. Mm -hmm. He waits until the character makes the fatal mistake in which he no, can no longer stand by and have inaction. He has to act. And this Jason it only acts when he has to. And yes. that's kind of the cool that brings a little sympathy his way because you realize that he's trying to help people. He's trying <laughs> to help them avoid death, but they do it to themselves. And they do. Um, 
And they do. If you just go away and you leave me alone, I don't have to do this. But exactly. if you come in and you blow up my spot, then <laughs> it's on you. Like, exactly. sorry. Um, and and it kind. Of, I think that the fact that he has to do it is kind of partially what pisses him off. That, like, yeah. he doesn't really want to do it in the first place. He doesn't like doing it. But then when somebody becomes a challenge, it makes him even more pissed off because he has to now give an effort. And so he goes, so he does the extra effort and that's when he really mutilates yeah. people. So I think that that's kind of a cool, like you see his building temper kind of get there and then he gets on the level of his mother and right. all hell breaks loose. And I like seeing that. I, I've watched mm -hmm. Never Hike Alone a couple of times and I've watched it with my community as well. Uh, and we, we, we have our own discussions and talks, what we liked, what we didn't like. And, and that's mm -hmm. what, it's fun just to see everyone's perspective on what they, their take on Jason is. And to see mm -hmm. the franchise and the fan-made films uh, on how they perceive Jason in their eyes is really, really cool. Uh, mm -hmm. We have another question from General Issues. Uh, there's a lot of first-person perspective in NHA. Uh, Blair Witch type of uh, feel to it, to the film. Uh, was this put the viewer into the character's shoes or just a preferred art style? Uh, definitely not a preferred art style. I hate found footage. Um, <laughs> I found, there's only like one or two found footage films I actually enjoy. Yeah. Um, it was, but it was, it was an art choice from the standpoint of, it gave us the ability to do a single year character. So like 127 are the Martian. We were able to do our traditional narrative camera, but use the camera. So it felt like it had a place in the movie. We weren't just fan. We weren't just found footage to be found footage, but the, 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 the camera was its own little character. Yeah. And what I liked about what I liked about that camera is that when we used it in a specific way, which was to put the audience in front of the character. So usually on film, the camera is usually positioned behind the camera, behind the character while they're yeah. walking through an area so you can see what's in front of them. Sometimes they put you in a first person POV. Yep. Um, this put us in a first person POV knowing that if Jason comes out, the first person who's going to get attacked is the audience. And so that's a cool, that's yeah. a cool technique of, of the found footage look. Um, and then when we wanted to like move craftily to the next scene, we would jump out, get a third person perspective, something that was nice and moody and cinematic, and then get it into the next scene and tell the next part of that scare. Um, so it really was kind of like based out of necessity and the fact that like it used to be him doing handwritten journals and realizing that nobody journals anymore. And like if you go out on a, on a thing, you're probably going to record yourself. Yeah. And so it just kind of evolved into the YouTube aspect of having a YouTube channel and we just based it on that and kind of ran with it. Nice. Nice. Um, Keith Boas wants to know, uh, who is your all time favorite director that really inspired you to mm. jump into this? <laughs> wow. Um, you know, it's question. funny. I don't, there isn't really like one director that like stands out. It's one of the funniest things. It's like people say, Oh, what kind of director do you want to be? What kind of director do you want to be? It's like, I like so many different films and so many different things. I can't really say that there's one that stands out. I mean, obviously I love Kubrick and I love Spielberg, yeah. uh, Cronenberg and, um, you know, all these the, Romero and, and all these great Craven. I mean, like they're yeah. all, there's so many people out there who have all these interesting perspectives. I mean, Mario Bava, um, Dario Argento, um, but then in recent times, Lee Winnell, um, David Bruckner, uh, you know, um, there's a lot, there, who is the, I'm trying to think of the guy who directed Blue Ruin, um, he's really good too. There's lots of really good young filmmakers that are, that are good. Yeah. So I get inspired by 
different people from different generations. I mean, obviously going all the way back to Hitchcock, um, even all the way back to Charlie Chaplin. There's there's animation directors that I really oh, enjoy. Yeah. Uh, you know, Chris Chris Miller and Phil Lord, the stuff that they do. Um, ever since they made they released uh, Cloudy with a Chance of Meatballs. Yeah. Um, so it's there's it's kind of it 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 spans it just spans so many different people and right. I couldn't I couldn't lock down just one that was like this is the director that I want to be like because I kind of just want to make my own stuff and and do my yeah. own thing and not say like oh I go after this guy it's just that a lot of the times when I watch a movie who made it is an afterthought of yes. like oh who did mm-hmm. make this one obviously I know that Spielberg made Jaws and Saving Private Ryan and yep. all the other films and and everything in between but um but I think that like it really just comes down to to storytelling. I'm a big fan of Christopher Nolan. I think he does a lot of great visuals and he, he simplifies story in a very engaging way to make it very palatable for people. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, Danny Boyle obviously based it off of uh, yep. 127 Hours, so that's a big one. And then Ridley Scott and, and his way of telling stories, the way he did The Martian. Um, everybody's got something. Everybody does different things. And I think that it really comes down to not idolizing just one, but understanding all the masters from all the areas and what made them so specific and how you can then find your own voice to put in today's generation because, you know, part of it is influenced by who we are and we're partially influenced by what's around us because we take inspiration from the world around us. So there's always going to be something different. We can't make the same film that Spielberg made because he grew up in a different time. He grew up with different ways of thinking. We have to say, how do we think now? How do we, what, what do fans want to see now that like, a, f- a film from the seventies isn't going to have the effect on somebody from the twenty. like from oh, now, for like sure. very classic example. Um, the exorcist does not scare me at all, has never scared me. In fact, I think it's one of the funniest movies I've ever seen. Watching a young girl say the most profane things to a bunch of adults <laughs> was probably the most fun I've ever had in a movie. I'm like, this girl is just ripping yes. these people. Like, this is awesome. I wish I could do this to my teachers. Like, I was laughing the ent- when she's puking on people. I'm uh-huh. like, good, let them have it. Like, you know what I mean? Like where people are like, oh my God, I'm going to get possessed. I'm like, yep. well, you're not going to get possessed. Are you kidding me? Like, look, Different this time. is hilarious. Exorcist yeah. 3, on the other hand, that movie's terrifying. So, you know, it's like different strokes for different folks. Yeah, really and a different is. era, right? A different, a different era of people I mean, watching it from the 70s to people watching it in the 90s and the 2000s it blows my mind that people fainted during that movie uh, yeah and in that time it like, was really? groundbreaking yeah but i mean if you think about the times i mean exactly. everyone's super religious uh saying anything 70s? profane against the church was like oh my god how dare you how could you like yeah you know people kids used to get the crap kicked out of them for saying anything against the church and then every you know generations loosen up we're not as tight wadded as our parents and now it's like Whatever. It's a totally different era. It's totally, it, yeah. it's like with the, uh, Night of the Living Dead in 1968, zombies, George Romero gave birth to that. Like, <coughs> you, that film at that time in that era was scary. They've never mm-hmm. seen stuff like that on, on the film before. Uh, mm-hmm. I mean, they had White Zombie, but nothing to the extent of Night of the Living Dead. So back then, that was kind of like blows people's minds. People see it nowadays that have never seen it back then. They're like, oh, well, this is nothing. And I'm like, but yeah. put yourself in the frame of mind going back into 1968. Things were a lot different then. <laughs> and having a black yeah. man as a lead in 1968. Yeah. And then ending the film the way you do. I mean, it's very powerful. Very, um, very, very. Yeah. So, yeah, it's very... Um, 
you know, and, and the thing is, is like, as I say, like Exorcist is a comedy. It's still a very well-made movie. Definitely. You know, Living Dead, you can go back and you might not be. And what I'm saying, it's more about the scare factor. It's like yeah. the things that scared people back then don't scare them now. You need to actually really fucking scare them. You need them. to scare you need them, to yeah. get at them. You need to grab them by the throat and be like, exactly. ah, gotcha. You know what I mean? Like right. people like, want people to jump back in their seats. So um, it's... It, it's 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 a challenge, but now we have all this new technology, and there's new ways to do it. We can get bloodier and more yeah. accurate, and, and you know we can make things that look really real. Um, and you know, because back in the day, we get a lot of <laughs> gags, but you could definitely yeah. tell it was a fake head. You know what yes. I mean? Like, or it's the man's <laughs> hands. Like, yeah, <laughs> you know what I mean? For sure. So it's like we had the fun of it, but like those days have passed. Being able to give these films has really gone away. You, you don't get away with that stuff anymore. It's like, no. well, they made mistakes then. Now you're not allowed to make those mistakes. You have to fix those mistakes and be better. Or at least that's the way I see it. I'm like, yeah. if they did that, then I need to now do that without that. Right. right? So. On your shirt, your shirt there, pathosis, is that yeah. what it's called? Can you tell us a little bit about that? Yeah. Pathosis is a story about a girl who's struggling, um, she struggles with a, it's a it's about a it stars Luciana Fallhaber first mm -hmm. of all she's a Brazilian actress she's very very good um, and she plays a character named Sam who's struggling with a mental disorder uh, and struggles with the side effects of her medication and the side effects of her disease and so if she takes her medication it kind of really messes with her and she's really and she's gone oh are you still there oh we might have a little. Am I, still, am I oh, still here? You're still here. Yep. Am I back? Gotcha. Yep. You're back. Okay. Cool. Cool. So I'll, I'll jump back into that. So uh, <laughs> Pathosis is a twenty. It, it's a twelve-minute short film starring Luciana Fallhaber uh, as a character named Sam who's struggling with a mental disorder and whether or not she should take her medication because of the side effects that it has on her. Um, it also stars uh, Andrew Lady, who was Kyle McLeod in Never Hike Alone. He plays her boyfriend. And uh, they're visiting uh, the mother-in-law for the weekend. Actually, their, their husband and wife, they're visiting the mother-in-law for the weekend. She wants to impress her mother-in-law, uh, but she doesn't want to take her medication because it makes her groggy and angry and, and kind of doesn't make, her, doesn't make her feel like herself. So yeah. she wants to just have a night not taking her medication, wake up tomorrow morning and have a fresh day and, and impress her her. her um, her husband's uh, mother, but she ends up having an episode. And so what the film turns into is kind of anyone who's ever walked to the bathroom in the middle of the night in a dark house and the things you see in the shadows, yeah. well, it's a little bit different for somebody with psychosis. For it's sure. a little bit somebody who suffers from mental disorders and the way that the shadows and shapes can um, can really mess with them. And it's, uh, it's the directorial debut of a good friend of mine, Austin Boning, who um, his everyday life is a previs supervisor for a company called The Third Floor. Mm -hmm. um, previs is kind of one of the leading technologies in Hollywood in which major films are built on. So his day job is working on films like Godzilla, King of the Monsters, X-Men. Right. Um, oh, nice. I can't remember what he's working on. He was just working on Avatar. Uh, he's working on Doctor Strange right now. Um, so he's designing the camera work for these big, big movies. And in fact, he won an award for a, a sequence that he designed for X-Men first class where Quicksilver runs around uh, the room and saves everybody in slow motion, the time yeah. in a bottle sequence. Well, before that was ever shot and made, Austin laid out all the camera work for that. Wow. Uh, 
and built that so they could shoot it on on set. So that's what Austin does for a living. He's been been meaning to to direct for a very long time. But like I said, when you get when you become very good at something in the industry, they want to make you do that over and over again. Yeah. And they don't want you to go ahead because then they have to replace you. Exactly. So the only way to do stuff is to make it on your own. And so Austin's a good friend of mine. He was a roommate of mine when I first moved out here. A good friend of mine that I knew from childhood. They they went to school together in Georgia. Um, so we've been friends since 2008 and I was like, yeah, man, let us help you out. Our good, uh, Kyle Klein, who's my producer for all of my stuff ended up oh. jumping on board and helping Austin the way he helps me. Um, I kind of oversaw as an EP and just helped run the crowdfunding and get that going. And we shot it last summer and, um, and released it in October at the, uh, the Telluride Horror Show was the debut. And we've been putting it in film festivals ever since. And at some point, once we get done with our festival run, we'll put it on the Womp Stomp Films uh, page and people will be able to watch it for free. Oh, that's amazing. Well, that's great. I know the industry. Yeah, it's really cool. It's got some cool creature work in it, too. It's, it's oh, a creature feature it. in a way. Um, the What she sees comes to life and it's right. really, it's really disturbing. Yeah, well, your mind can create some of the most disturbing imagery ever. Yeah. <laughs> and I'm excited to see this movie as well. Well, we will definitely be keeping an eye out for um, Pathosis. That's yeah. And uh, in a cool Friday the 13th note is uh, Cynthia Kenai's in it, yeah. who is Vinnie Guastafara's uh, wife, but also plays, and I can't remember her name in the film, but in Friday the 13th Part 6, you know the couple that gets engaged out in out in the woods? Yes. She's the girl who gets engaged. Oh, so she interesting. Plays the, she plays Andrew's mom in the film, which is really cool. And she does an amazing job. She's an amazing actress. Um, and then Lizzie Johnson plays the creature in the film, which is really cool. And she does a, she's a New Zealand-based, I believe New Zealand or Australian-based actress who is in the United States now and is very phenomenal what she does. Nice. Oh, yeah. Uh, we have these written down as well. And all of your links are in the chat for people to go and see. Uh, we do have a couple more questions. Uh, Dylan Derbanks wants to know, as a kid, what was your favorite costume you wore uh, on Halloween? My favorite costume? Yeah. Ooh. <laughs> um, it's funny. Uh, let me see. Best costume. Which was the best costume I've ever worn? I was Rambo one year, which is pretty good. Um, <laughs> let me see. I was Cartman another year, which was fun. Cartman's fun. Uh, yeah, it was fun. I'm trying to think what was a really, really good one because I used to do some really good. You know, I really have to go all the way back to when I was like in second grade. I had a Godzilla costume that was pretty dope. It had my I look more like um, remember the show The Tick? Yes. <laughs> and they had the guy who like turns into like he still has his human face, but he's he's Godzilla. Yeah. <laughs> so I basically it's kind of like that. I had everything but the face. Right. So but that was my favorite because I used to wear that costume like every day. Like it didn't have to be Halloween. Like when I had the Godzilla costume and a tail that I could like swing around, exactly. like I wanted to be a dinosaur all day. So I think that that was my favorite. Nice. Right on. Uh, also, we we get this question all the time when we have fans of Friday the 13th and Michael Myers. Uh, since you're such a fan of Jason and Michael, who do you think would win a battle between uh Jason and Michael, and that's from Boomhauer. Jason. I, I say the same thing, Jason, as well. Jason. Yeah. <laughs> and no, I, everybody's like, oh, Vin, you should do a, Mike, uh, a Jason versus Michael thing. I was like, you don't want to see my Jason versus Michael short. It's going to be really short. Exactly. Be really short. <laughs> I don't think there's any way Michael, even if he tried his hardest, would be able to take down a, a guy like Jason. Yeah, I, I, I just don't. Sorry. Yeah, yeah, I I, I, I like agree Michael, with you. I like Michael for what he is, but when it comes to when it comes yeah. to the 
the kind of more supernatural powers that Jason has, I just, I feel like Michael falls short. And he does fall sure. short. I agree. And, and Jason's I know had all everything. Halloween fans are like, I, I know, right? I'm like, one of my really <laughs> good friends is a huge Michael Whatever. fan. And, and I tell him all the time that Michael would die and he argues with me. But I, Michael has never had the amount of violence thrown at him as Jason has. Jason's been blown yeah. up into tiny little pieces. Yeah, they always say, oh, well, Michael's never died. And it's like, yeah, he did. He died at the end of two. Yeah, he did. Right? But, but then they brought him back for four. And then uh, they did the same, you know, and then he just kind of like, and then he gets shot and he falls down a well. Yeah, I, I think that's the extent of his kills the guy who nurses him back to health. What a <laughs> jerk. Yep, that he does. And then all of a sudden he's part of a cult. Hey, you know, whatever. I know, a really crazy line there. I mean, I like Michael as well. It's my second favorite in the slasher genre. Uh, but yeah, I, Jason yeah. would and It's fun. I mean, Michael's a lot of fun to, to work with and, and tell stories about. And there's more stories that I'd like to tell about Michael and work with Renee on doing Spirit of Haddonfield too. I'd love to make Face of Michael Myers um, and bring that into the world because that's a really rad story. I, I really is. appreciate it the stuff that they're trying to do. So just keep an eye out for this stuff. You know, when these fans films start popping up, it's worth it. You yeah. know, it's not like if you can convince you and five of your friends to give five to 20 bucks, like that's, that's a big, you know, yeah. that's good. That's big for us. If we can make a hundred bucks, like yeah. it adds up, it adds up quick. And this is why I bring independent filmmakers, producers, writers on the show here. Cause they get to see and talk to so many other fans of the genre that they may not have reached before. Uh, we had mm -hmm. uh, uh, Tom Jenkins, uh, Todd Jenkins, and Billy Blair uh, from Cherokee Creek uh, Mafia oh, Productions yeah, yeah. on the show, and uh, I love that film. I I love Cherokee Creek. It's good stuff. It is very funny, and they gave us an insight of how it is to be an independent filmmaker in that field, and yeah, the kind of red tape and stuff that they have to go through, and the finances they have to bring in. Mm -hmm. So. And it really opened yeah, up the tough. eyes to a lot of people who don't get to see this on a regular basis. I think people take for granted what it takes. To, it, it takes a lot. I mean, it's an emotional toll. It's a financial toll. It's a relationship toll. Everything. Mm -hmm. The film industry is one of the grossly is grossly overworked, uh, is grossly underpaid. Oh, um, yes. We work, I mean, when we're not working on our own stuff and we're working on these other shows, you're talking about 60 hour weeks. When I was working as a, as you know, on the production team for the rookie, you know, I was uh, on Monday, I was at work at, at 4 30 AM. The last hour I worked that week would be Saturday at like 2 AM. Yeah. So I don't really have a weekend. I got like yeah. a Saturday I'm sleeping halfway through. And then a Sunday I have to end early because I have to get up for 4 30 AM. So like, and that's for four straight four, five straight months of working basically six days a week yeah. and getting paid kind of a menial wage. That's not really that great because I'm on the production team and I'm not in a union. So it's, and, and the production teams do a ton of work. Like we actually don't have any regulations on us. So we have to do every single dirty job that's out there and keep everybody organized. But every other department has a union that basically says like, you can sit on your ass for like seven of the 10, eight hours of the day. And like you only have to do one thing and it goes down a line, a chain of command. Like we're kind of like, you know, we have a chain of command in production, but like there is nothing that we can say no to. Unlike every other department can say no to whatever they want. So it's really, right. you know, it, it's kind of like ugh, it's such a tough, <laughs> tough road. But um, but that's why I think on independent films, we try, we understand that and we try yeah. to and I try to. I mean, it's, it's tough because when you got to. When you want, when you have a vision and you got to try to make it happen, 
sometimes you got to give extra hours. You got to do it. But when I try to like schedule things, I let people know what they're getting into, um, making them understand what to be prepared for, but then also being like, but I'm going to try and make it up to you by X, Y, and Z. Either I'm going to give you this type of wage, or I'm going to get you a really nice place to stay, or we're going to take care of your travel or something like that. It's just that we know how hard it is. And I think other independent filmmakers know how hard it is to do Mm -hmm. this. And so when we're out there trying to build our projects, we always have to be safe with our budgets. But most of the time I spend as much time with my budget trying to figure out how I can make life easier for my crew, which will make life easier for me when I ask right. them to stay an extra hour. Like, yeah, not everyone might have the, the the best wage right now, but guess what? When, like, for example, when we shot a never hike in the snow, we were shooting out in the middle of the snow. It was freezing cold. Well, we went and got a real production trailer that we could have makeup done in and that people could sit in and stay warm and go to the bathroom and, you know, all of those things that costs money. I mean, that costs a good amount of money. And so what I say to people is like, listen, like I can either get this motor home and we can all be warm or you can all get the wage you get when you get paid union rates and we can all stand outside and freeze. (laughs) It's up to you. What would you rather do? Would you rather invest in the film and make your life easier on set? Or would you rather walk away with a couple extra hundred bucks this weekend that, you know, you'll be miserable and not want to come back? So, and it's just about finding people who have that mutual understanding and they realize, well, as long as I'm getting paid for my services and I'm getting compensated for the time and instead of being going somewhere else and either getting paid more or just really not dealing with the headache this weekend, like, okay, that's worth it to me. And those are the types of people we want on our sets because they're the ones who are going the extra mile because they want to do more with their careers. They don't just want to like sit on the train and say, I'll just move up when I move up and get my next paycheck when I get my next paycheck and like kind of sit and let the system dictate them and and place them in the world. We're looking for filmmakers that want to find their own place in the world that want to move up, that want a little bit more responsibility. So a lot of the times we hire the assistants for people who then step up and become the department head and get to run a department head for the first time ever. Like, like Nora Hewitt, who stepped in and, and did the VFX for Never Hike in the Snow. Most of her work previously, uh, even as a department lead, was doing most of the work herself. But this was one of the first times that she's had the opportunity to build a team and uh, spread the work out. And so we had multiple artists working on things. Her girlfriend, Rachel, we had a, an artist um, who did some some prosthetic work who did Mm -hmm. work on it. We had somebody who did some blood rigs who worked on Halloween. So like we have a team that's built of people who have worked on $50 million films in the horror genre. So you're talking about Halloween and it like these two biggest horror movies to come out in the last two years other than Dr. Sleep. And they probably work on Dr. Sleep too. And like Nora works on the Mandalorian. Uh, so here it is with people who are working for the big budget shows who are all coming together for a side project, taking, a fraction of what they usually make because they're given more power. Um, and all these shows, they're part of the cog. And in this right. one, they are the cog. And so it's, it's a real cool thing for them to step up and have more of a frontal kind of, yeah. uh, uh, getting known for what they're doing. And, and then that's kind of part of it. I mean, people say like, listen, you can't pay me in, in exposure, but no, I mean, I can pay you to pay you, but the exposure from this film will also be good for you. Like Kelsey exactly. Burke, who is our first visual effects uh, supervisor on Never Hike Alone 1, she went on to go work on uh, on Swamp Thing. Yeah. You know, we couldn't amazing. get her back because she went out and her career blew up. People started right. Never Hike Alone in the effects community became this thing that was like, holy crap, how the hell did this get made with nobody knowing about it? Yeah. Um, and when Kelsey started saying she was the one who worked on it, people loved that and it helped her 
get more jobs. Yeah. And so same thing with, with other people in our team. Like there's people who haven't come back because they've gotten bigger jobs and they're out of our price range. Now. Yeah. And so be it. I mean, that's what, and that's what I tell people. It's like, I want you to go make more. This isn't the place where you're going to make more. I'm not that type of company, but right. when we're done, we're going to be able to recommend you to something. And then mm-hmm. when you go, we just need to find your replacement. We just need to find yeah. somebody who was in your position before and we want them to follow the same path you're on. We hope that when we're done, maybe you'll hire them or you'll yeah. help do this. And there's so many different crews that have been built off of Womp Stomp Film stuff where mm-hmm. we've worked with a couple of people, but now those couple of people are working together and right. a couple of people are working together over here and we're crossbreeding all these communities that before were just isolated in their own, own places, wondering how they could do this. And now there's this vast network you know, not that we invented it, but that we have personal relationships right. now, but we've now tapped into that network that was set up there by the film festivals, by the conventions. Mm-hmm. And now we're, a, we're, we're one of the people who are involved in it. And I think that that's, that's been a really cool, um, kind of aspect of all of this. And it's not something I expected, but I'm glad that I stumbled into it. Right. Yeah. Cause I mean, you, you help boost someone else's career and it, 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 creates this uh, network of people who are ready and willing to boost each other up. And, and that's what we need, especially for independent filmmakers and directors and everybody in that genre. That's really great. We are getting to our uh, two hour mark. Is there anything you want to say to anybody or anything you want to give us a little information on? That you haven't I mean, already said? <laughs> no, I mean, I think, I think I've covered most of it. Um, I mean, are there any more questions out there? Does anybody else have any have any questions about Never Hike in the Snow or the Never Hike in the Alone series or or anything uh, anything out there? Do you guys have any other questions? I don't have the chat up, so I don't know if anything's come up that I, I, I have been there. copy and pasting as many as I could get to make sure I don't miss them. I have them. I okay. have them highlighting their questions so I can get them because chat. Sometimes... Yeah, I just want to make sure that that I, I'm not missing anything that that people wanted to hear about. Um, I don't know. I'm just, you know, right now I'm just really excited um, as we continue to work on Never Hiking the Snow. Uh, we released an update yesterday as far as like how editorial was going. Mm-hmm. Um, yep, I read about that, it. Yeah. Oh, good. Great. Oh, and, yeah. No, uh, I follow. I follow. <laughs> perfect. Perfect. So we, um, yeah, we're, we're looking at two dates right now, two very specific dates. I won't mention them just because if I get yep. a bid back next week from post-production, it's like, yo, man, it's going to take me till this. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to have to have a serious conversation with everybody. Right. Um, but I think uh, here's what I can tell people is that the the, the schedule is like this. We're going to lock the cut or we're going to get it semi-locked because as we move, we'll probably continue to slide frames left and right. Mm-hmm. Um, but our goal is, is that we picked out what we wanted to do for a trailer. We're going to work on that. We're going to send that through every single department, which will be, you know, sound, color, music, right. uh, final export, titles, all that fun stuff. By the time we get to the end of that, we're going to have a release date. That okay. release date will be determined by our post bids, and we're going to go through this little test piece of a trailer that's going to let us know how long it takes everybody to work on everything. Um, and then when we release that trailer, we're probably going to release with it another Indiegogo because I have a feeling mm-hmm. that when people see this trailer, if they didn't pre-order Never Hike in the Snow before, they're going to want to pre-order it now. Oh, yeah. Um and instead of fielding about 400 emails that are going to come my way and oh, answering yes. them individually, it's probably easier if Indiegogo just tracks everybody what everybody wants. We can put all of our back stock up there for let people strip us drive, whatever we have left. 
Um, we probably will do nothing but the Blu-ray and whatever we have left in Never Hike Alone Blu-rays. And then we're going to have um, one or two producer perks left if anybody wants to come on and get their name on the big line of the credits. Right. Um, there's something we haven't revealed about the film that will be revealed in the trailer. And we didn't want to reveal it until we could show it on screen because mm -hmm. it's a very dynamic moment in the film. Um, so that item will come up for purchase uh, during that thing. It will be a very small short run campaign. I think we're only going to do it for 14 days okay. just so we can get a last minute. Basically just say, everybody, you got two weeks. Right. <laughs> like, I've, I've, I've warned you a thousand times. <laughs> you want to get your names in the credits. We want to get to 2000 backers, like help us get there. Um, but like that. And so what we'll do is we'll use this, some of this funding for, uh, obviously for the printing of the Blu-ray and the shipping, which is really some of the costs that we dipped into to do some of the more special things in the film. Mm -hmm. Um, so I want to replace that cost and then anything extra will go into some of the pre-production for never hike and never hike again. Since we sold both of our costumes, we have to rebuild Jason right. from the ground up again. Uh, and we might try to take a little bit even higher budget approach to that and have some different people work on the costume. Um, we might have a different hood made, different right. hands made, uh, same mask yep. might change. <laughs> I don't know. We might do a whole upgrade for the second half. It's something to talk about. It just depends on how much money we make. Right. Um, but I think one of the cool things is that we've had the ghost talk in every single film, uh, yeah. in never hike alone one disappear and never hike in the snow. It's the same mask. It hasn't changed. And that's something you've never seen from Friday the 13th ever before. Very true. Um, maybe between part three and four, there was some, it was probably the best. Yeah. But um, after that, I mean, it's just been a completely different mask every Definitely single time, different straps, different things. So, mm -hmm. so we're going to get into that. Um, you know, for those folks out there who have ordered ghost hawks and people ask about them, we had a, a pre-order list of about 85 people from the campaign. Uh, and we just crossed the 40 something mark and 10 oh, wow. more going out in the next couple of weeks. So it's taken a while to get those made, but they take a while to get made. They We're not making them like the, the, the process of making them is not like making most, uh, masks that you get. Most masks that you get are vacuum formed right. and they're very easy to just pump out and paint. Ours are, uh, resin. They're, they're slush casted. So mm -hmm. they're made just like the mask in the movie. So what you're getting is a replica of how we make the actual mask based on a mold from the actual mask. Yeah. So you're not getting some replica or somebody trying to recreate it. You're getting the same mask I wear. So that's why it takes a while to make it. Um, Brandon Scott Murphy out of Sculptor Die does all the casting because he has the original mold from CFX. Right. Um, and then Topher Scott over at A New Kind of Fear does all the painting. He's got it down to a science. I sent him the original mask to make sure that his paintwork is like – right on point. He's using all the same colors. He's talked to CFX, talked about the colors that they use. So something that we're very conscious of in, in, in that. Um, even the stenciling that he does for all of the marks are based yeah. on the marks from the, from the movie. He was able to scan the mask. Oh, so wow. he puts those marks in, paints over it, and then peels them off. So the same exact shape of, of what is in the, in the hero ghost talk. So there, that's why it, it's like, it's not just pump them out. It's like, right. no, I want everyone to have the specific mask. Cause that's one thing I, I don't know. We can talk about kind of a fan thing right now is I find repros for most of the time to be not worth the money that I've paid. Yep. Um, you know, it's like 120 bucks for like a thin urethane mask that when I put it on, it bends. Yeah. Are you kidding me? I know. Like, I mean, I, when I was doing the research for never hike alone and I was looking for reproduction masks, I was disappointed in everything that I bought, especially for the money that I was paying for a lot of it. I'm like, really, this is what they wore. And it's so thin. It's so flimsy. Like yeah. what's this going to stop? So our mask is like heavy duty built. 
Um, and that's what I've always wanted to see Jason in. So it's, right. it's kind of a cool thing to do. It, I wish we could do them faster, but obviously with COVID slowing everything down and them being really hard to make, right. um, it's not as a simple process. We have to make sure that they're not, they're structurally sound and, and all those things because they're thicker and harder. So they, they will, if you don't make them right, they'll crack. Yeah. So, yes. um, so yeah, there's a lot that goes into it. So it, it's not necessarily a, the delay with those things isn't necessarily us like not working on it. It's that it right. just takes time to do it right. Just like our films, like yep. it takes time to do it right. That's why it like, that's why we didn't film in December because we didn't have the right time to get everything done. So we gave everybody two more months to prep. I went out and shot 13th fanboy and worked on that for, you know, a month while that was going on, came back, shot as soon as we got back. Um, and you know, then we had to deal with the downtime for personal stuff and right. just, mm -hmm. you know, but even then, it's like it takes time. You know, we're, I'm going to sit down with people next week in post production. I'm going to get realistic bids from saying it's going to take me a day to do each of these shots, and you have 40 shots for me to do. That means I have 40 days of work. 40 right. days of work is a month and a half. You know what I mean? Oh, and yeah. what happens if something else comes along the way? It's not like the the wages that we're going to be paying for the post are going to be something that can pay someone's rent. You know what I mean? Yeah. Just, it's like here's some money for doing this. Thank you. But if a bigger job comes along. And they say, hey, this guy's giving me like triple your rate. I need to get this done within the next week. Well, guess what? Yeah, we got to put a home. pause on never hiking the snow. So um, that's why I have to look at it and say, if you can get it done in 40 days, okay, that puts us to this date if you worked every single day, but you're probably going to get some stuff in between. So let's add another 40 days. Right. Uh, where does that put us? Okay, <laughs> that puts us at this date. And that does that give everyone else time? And there's and like basically like we find the longest bid and then we back everybody else into that bid. And so we say like, okay, so the drop dead date for everything is October 1st. Say that's yep. a date, not the date, just throwing that out there. Yep, That'd yep. be a nice date. <laughs> That'd be a beautiful date for us. Right. Say everything's done by October 1st. Well, now if music gets done on September 15th, well, now we have 15 days to say, hey, if I raise 500 bucks or a thousand bucks or 2000 bucks, do you think we can go get some more like actual instrument players to come in and record some samples of like wind instruments and, and string instruments and things that we can add elements for and, and build the production value up. Mm -hmm. That's how we're going to do it. And so, um, we're going to fix the footprints this time, the foot sounds. Right. So I actually, I'm a fan of, of stompy Jason, uh, yeah. it, the, the mix got a little out of hand last time. I wanted that feeling of like when you're in the theater and if you ever watch in a theater, if you watch the film yeah. with a good sound system, like it shakes the floor. Um, we still want a little bit of that, but we're going to work on kind of the more contact sounds and like the high pitch. There's something in there that like a high pitch effect got tweaked somewhere where no one was watching and um, – and it kind of, and it just, it shoots through stereo speakers and it shoots right. through anything without any bass. And so it, mm -hmm. it was really kind of one of those things that was a gotcha for me when I first <laughs> watched it. I was like, oh, I didn't see that. Right. Or I didn't hear that because I wasn't watching it on a computer. I was watching it in a theater. Yeah. Um, when I was mixing it, I was mixing it in a theater. So I wasn't thinking like, what does this sound like on my laptop? Um, mm -hmm. And so this time we're doing those passes. We're going to do right. the theater mix. We're going to do the laptop mix. We're going to do the phone mix. <laughs> Uh, we're going to figure out what kind of sounds best for everything and we'll probably go with a streaming mix right. and then a uh, a theater mix for something that's a little bit more juiced up. That for way sure. we know we're going into places that have the right uh, subwoofers and things like that. Yeah, that that's a really great idea. Uh, where can we get our hands on some of these masks? So uh, they're not available right now. Mm -hmm. uh, the 
the the wait list is closed, but anything, anything anybody ever wants, you just email us at W-O-M-P-S-T-O-M-P-F-I-L-M-S at gmail.com. Yep. Uh, I'll get that email. One of my team members will get that email and we can process you an order through PayPal. Uh, we have Never Hike Alone Blu-rays. Uh-huh. We have pre-orders for Never Hike in the Snow. I have perfect. literally five Never Hike Alone DVDs left. So for those of you out there who have asked about DVDs, you've never bought a Blu-ray player for some reason, you're still watching <laughs> DVDs. Uh, we have five DVDs left. Uh, then we also have some t-shirts. Uh, we have beanies, we have pins and posters. And uh, we can order you things like sweatshirts and other things like that. If you go to the, if you go to any of our Indiegogos, Never Hike in the Snow, mm-hmm. Never Hike Alone, any of the stuff, and you say, I want that shirt, I want that poster, I want that thing, we can probably reorder it for you. Uh, we have everything saved with all of our vendors, so it's just a matter of getting something reprinted. We're very limited on shirt sizes, so right. email us, say, hey, what sizes do you have in shirt size medium? I'll tell you everything that we have in shirt size medium. It's probably a little easier that way than sure. the listing thing we have. Um, yeah, and if you just email us there, like I said, PayPal invoice, uh, go to www.wompstompfilms.com, follow us everywhere on social media, um, keep up to date. We've been posting a lot of behind-the-scenes stuff. Yep. And then keep an eye out, I would say, towards the back end of August for a release of a trailer, uh, a release of a new Indiegogo campaign, and nice. more information on the movie and more behind-the-scenes stuff, and then we'll just start getting hype, hype, hype. Right, right. Yeah. There is the email address. I'm pretty sure you're probably going to get some emails here. There is all the information where you can find uh, Wompstomp Films on YouTube, Facebook, Instagram, Twitter, and the website. And the email is right above. So if you guys want anything from here, make sure you email uh, wompstompfilms at gmail.com. Um, thank you very much for coming on to Coffee Chat of Horrors. It's uh, a pleasure and an honor to have you on the film, on the show here. I'm excited for all the stuff that you have coming. Great. Yeah, no, it was a pleasure to talk to you and sit down and and kind of talk about some of this stuff. Oh, for sure. I Um, hope it was entertaining for everybody. I know I can kind of drone on and talk about things, but uh, hopefully I had some good stories in there. Oh, you definitely did. And we love that. We love when people that come on the show are very comfortable in talking and, and it's been great. It's a lot of information we get to know about you and Dillinger is like it's a kick-ass time. So it, it, it's fun for us to listen to you and your stories yeah. and your experience to get to know more yeah, no, about you and the films. Well, thank you. And there's a lot of good filmmakers out there. I mean, really, you, if you like Womp Stomp films, look at a lot of our friends, Renee Rivas Productions, uh, Red Crow Films, uh, the guys over at Slash and Cast. I love Sorry, Slash I and Cast. Yeah, Slash and Cast guys are really cool. I know they got yes. uh, Fall of Camp Blood. Yes, they do. Um Let's see. Let's let's give all the shout outs for all the fan films that are out there. Obviously, right. Vengeance is out. Uh, Never Hike cool. Alone, Disappear. Um, a cool one came out called um, Friday the 13th, The Curse or something. It was shot in either South America, South Africa or New Zealand. It's one mm-hmm. of those two accents. That one's really cool. Uh, it's got a Ginny reference in it. So it, and it's got a little ghost Jason reference in there. He's got big stomping boots and he's got nice. the blank mask. I think I think that, that was an homage. Um, there was Jason versus Michael. So if people want to see Jason fight I've, Michael, yep, there, was that, that. there was that film. Those are filmmakers that reached out to us um, and are, are big fans of ours. Uh, obviously, we got Fall of Camp Blood, Jason Rising. Yep. Um, we have Voorhees coming out. That's supposed to have an announcement date soon. Uh, then there's – his name was Jason. Yes, um, his name is Jason. Then there's a couple more, and I feel bad. Jason Grimm, uh, who's a filmmaker, is releasing something that's uh, My Special Boy, I think it's called. And it, okay. it's Sackhead Jason short, just like uh, his mm. name was Jason. Yeah. Um, 
And I'm sure that there are a thousand more out there because I get yeah. emailed about them all the time. Um, I would say that if you have a film and like you need advice and all that stuff, um, I get a lot of emails like that. I can only help so much. I do have a an email that's like if you want to know the ins and outs of crowdfunding and some of the things about fan. Like if you say, hey, I'd really like to get that email that you send to people. I can send you this email that basically just kind of says like these are good things to hit if you want to crowdfund. Um, these are things to avoid. Uh, this is a great way to structure your, your things. I have that email if you want it, um, to, to help you, but reading scripts and doing, I, I, I wish I had exactly. more time, but I don't, I got to read my man. own scripts. <laughs> <laughs> exactly. You are a busy man. You do everything. <laughs> and, uh, and keep an eye out. I think people, I think one of the, out of all this stuff, I'm really excited about the ghost chicken project. Uh, uh -huh. just because it's a little bit out of the cuff for me. It's not as serious. It's really, it's a, it's a comedy. Um, and it's animated. So right. Womp Stomp Films is about to step into the world of animation. We started working with some really talented artists and uh, going to use my animation background to create some art. So I'm really pumped about this. And uh, I think you should keep an eye out for that. Look for more. You'll see it pop up at, I think, a couple more festivals this year. You'll kind of see it on our website. But keep an eye out for that. It's going to be a sleeper. Definitely I think will. people are really going to dig this short. Oh, definitely will. We'll probably showcase it here on the show when it comes out. And eventually we'll be crowdfunding for that as well so we can get it animated. But we're going to get it to a, cer a certain place so you right. can uh, see what we're up to. That's amazing. Thank you so much for taking the time out of your busy schedule to come on here again. It, it's been really amazing to talk to you, get to know you more. Um, my community is excited and, and ecstatic at the fact that you came on to the show. <laughs> good, good. Well, uh, it was a pleasure to be here. Thank you very much. You have yourself an amazing weekend. Everyone, this is uh, Vincent DeSanti, uh, filmmaker, uh, director, and uh, Womp Stomp Films. So make sure you uh, check them out. You hit up all of their social links. Make sure you follow them. Give them some love. There's going to be some Indiegogos coming up. Um, definitely keep an eye out on all the social media because that is where they'll do their updates. Mm -hmm. Again, thank you. I hope you have an amazing weekend, the rest of your weekend. You as well. All right. Bye. <laughs> Bye.